No matter how exotic human civilization becomes, no matter the developments of life and society, nor the complexity of the machine-human interface, there always comes interludes of lonely power when the course of humankind, the very future of humankind, depends upon the relatively simple actions of single individuals. From the Tlaxlu Godbook. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune Messiah. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. With each chapter, we open up a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club here, Derek. And Mike, as always, we're on this little rosé kick. I got an Artie Chilean rosé. Oh! A-R-T-I-E. It's got a little picture of a cork and a little mini skirt. Oh, it's front. a cork. I thought that was yeah. a toilet paper roll. I'm just like, what? Okay, yeah, yeah, that? It's a little styled up, but uh, floral and fruity. It's delicious. Can't Love go it. wrong. I Love it. It's a great color, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mike. Oh, we're going in. Okay. We got a, a hell of a little quote here starting us off with this chapter. All right. I'm loving this. Uh, it's out of the Tlaxo God book. Yeah. And they spell book very oddly. Yeah. I got nothing for the origin. I'm sure it's not God Buck. Good book. Good book. Uh, yeah. And go mainly off of how they pronounced it in the uh, audiobook for us, courtesy mm-hmm. of Audible. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what it, how much of a cynic they are. I, I don't know where to attribute this to or what this is uh, a reference material for. Mm-hmm. But clearly it's sort of Bene Gesserit in nature, right? It's commenting on just the courses of humanity and like this uh, confluence of how history and is history big events or important people. You remember that was how this whole uh, thing starts with Bronzo of Ix in the um, jail cell. And right. He had written this dissertation being like, eh, it might be a little bit of both, but I think it's people. And uh, <laughs> the encyclopedia tells us it's definitely people later on. <laughs> uh, and even the Tlaxlu seem to land on the idea that it is a person, mm-hmm. right? Or at least there are moments when the person gets heightened. And uh, we've run this up a couple of times. But the moment I think of when you mention a concept like this of a single individual exerting their influence on history sure. is that one Russian guy who chose not to launch those nukes during the right. height of the Cold right. War. It, when he was just in that position to like make the call. He would have been totally right to do it. Not right, obviously, morally, but like within his uh, code of uh, action that he's supposed to right, do right, right. and these procedures. And like that's not even something I learned about until recently when you told me. Yeah, uh, I mean, for me, all the broken arrow things, of, yeah. uh, just close calls with nuclear things, I, I'm glad I guess I learned about that later in life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go through my ideal 20s knowing that Living kind of Living in dare. extreme paranoia. <laughs> I'm just like, every day we're on the brink, man. <laughs> nah, sometimes ignorance is bliss. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I And I, love, I guess, I, and then to focus more on Dune with this, um, I think we're aiming at Paul, right? Yeah. Or could we possibly be aiming at hate? I think you could apply it to a couple different people in this situation specifically. I guess all of our high, yeah. our big players at everyone, the center of the country. Everyone's alone in their own little world right yeah, now. Edric, I feel like, yeah, he's we could pass. He's got all the friends in the world. <laughs> yeah, but he's not the center of jack shit. <laughs> 
But uh, specifically, this is I think this is pertaining to Paul. This is a Paul chapter. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a Leah, but it's Paul's perspective. His him walking the streets, him going to the convent, and just it's very uh, it's very literal of lonely power. Yes, you will. Yeah, we've built that up for the few chapters now. How isolated and lonely Paul is, and even having those few moments where he told us. Um, I'm thinking when we were in that meeting room with like Stilgar, Aaliyah, and mm-hmm. uh, who was one of the characters? Hate was back there. Sure. And Paul's looking at them all being like, I don't know any of these people. These are all strangers to me now because mm. he has this one desire and this one track that he is on. Uh, and yeah, getting that, the human aspect, I think, is uh, the parallel in this chapter. It's also him get, fitting in with the herd finally. Like, He's sure. looking at it from that human perspective that he's been so removed from mm-hmm. his entire life. Uh, I think this is his first normal day. Sometimes, uh, didn't we have him walking out among the streets earlier in the book? Or yeah, was, we it, didn't. No, but I mean, uh, normal days and like from the eyes of a normal sure, person. Sure. You know, uh, yeah, obviously. We never really got to see like Paul's normal day off kind of thing, how he spent it. Yeah, well, so. even then, he's still, he's still Paul the Emperor. True. I mean, like today was the first day he really sheds like. Because even when he snuck out, oh, you, he, he was being followed that whole time, too. Sure, you yeah. know, like this apparatus of government is always around him. Tonight's a little special, but he just, he has this, today we're going to follow Paul. He has a, a revelation, and he finally gets to experience religion mm-hmm. from the perspective of the religious. Right, He's right. never dabbled in that before, and it is like a soothing balm to him. And kind of like... If he wasn't on this track that's going to kill his wife and he was so sure, <laughs> he might have smiled yeah, at the end. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but of course the stakes are so fucking high. <laughs> Back to the simpler days of yeah. Yui's OCB. Oh, yeah. Yui, my favorite betrayer. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's get right into the chapter. Is there anything else you want to talk about with the God book? Oh. And the idea of like Paul being uh, this center uh, human who's going to make an individual decision? Um... No, I don't think so. I do. I guess I just want to put out there. I think that we may have a little bit of uh, Tleilaxu in us because they can't pronounce words. We can't pronounce words. Well, they can't spell. Oh, well, we can't do that either. So, hey. Well, we haven't been given the chance. Uh, (laughs) Audio format. Audio format. I feel like that's their defense. I'd be like, no, no, no. That's that's how you say that. (laughs) God bless you, (laughs) Tleilaxu. That's why you keep your civilization isolated. (laughs) Yeah. You can't be faulted for these cultural exchanges that get missed. But enough of that. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Let's cross the bridge because that's what Paul's doing. Uh, he's leaving his house. Uh, now, I don't know exactly where we are in the, you know, infinite uh, space that's within the keep, the many cities within his keep, mm-hmm. because we're going out to the Fane. And I think before I imagined the Fane like as its own separate building. Yeah. Out in like the real... This- what the I real and outside well. area, and the keep is just this other world mm-hmm. that you just go, can go infinitely down into. So we're leaving that, and uh, Paul's going undercover. And uh, is it far undercover as they're going to let him go, right? Secret agent. Yeah, what do you think about this? Of like, let alone the uh, disguise that they put him in. But right as he's leaving, he adds a limp to his walk. <laughs> so I'm like okay, he's he's really getting into character. Well, he knows, and we I think didn't he bring this up before? Of like, uh, you can he didn't want. Oh yeah, the first time he was walking around, he didn't want to be seen by his walk. Like somebody right. might know my gate. Somebody right. might Someone from the old CH days. Exactly, and that's what we're thinking really of everything. With. He's got well. It, I, what I love and that we've missed out on is this uh, 
planning meeting for tonight. Mm-hmm. It's they all got together. Cheney was there. Uh, Banerjee was there. Still, Banerjee's there. always there. Ban- I've I've taken to Banerjee. He, I mean, like I said, he's a little too hardcore, but yeah, he's he's <laughs> good forever. Sometimes you need that. You need it. Uh, and so I love it. They, they all like outlined this thoroughly. That would have been a really fun chapter to be in. Yeah. Because like, imagine if Corbo was there and Frank could have played it like either way of like, if Corbo was too protective, Paul could look at him and be like, that's not how Corbo normally acts. You know, like, just something interesting where mm, the narrator sure. asserts this thing on top of him. And you could have been like, yeah, built that tension there too. I really... I guess like I'm I'm just kind of excited to see more Corba coming up here because what we had Pope for a day and then he just gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that was it. Pope for a day, gone tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh he'll be he'll be back. All right. We're all gonna right. we're gonna get well, I know Bronzo says so. Well yeah, certainly oh well, no, Bronzo tells us don't focus on these fools. Yeah. Because this is the real one. Yeah. Uh so we'll see. But yeah, Corvo, he'll get some chapters. He'll get some full full Corva coming mm-hmm. on. Uh, but Paul leaving here, uh, we're leaving whatever building going on this bridge and we're crossing into the Kizarat office building a, <laughs> which implies there are many more, <laughs> as many, uh, for how big, you know, the Kizarat is. Mm-hmm. And Paul also tells us that he has a shield on, but it's not activated because his aides uh, advised against it, which yeah. is referring to this big meeting. Yeah, so I had a plan and kind of be like, does that mean Paul would have put it on? Mm, he just he it, probably it's weird that you passed yeah. the buck narration wise uh, no that that's a the god buck <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you but no you that's a really good point because paul's smarter than that well well by having it on maybe that would be i, I don't know do that, people just walk in the streets wearing shields now at this point maybe I mean, I get, I, you have so many people from off-world and this and that. If you have, like, some uh, high-up reps. Could be a sign of, like, wealth or something. I don't well, know. Well, I end up thinking just the number of people that aren't Fremen. Like you said, uh, everybody comes here on pilgrimage. Right, right, Think right. of, like, a, a duke coming here. So two might coming, like, yeah, yeah. That yeah, makes sense. Like, like how Leto was when he showed sure. up. Leto was all about shields when so he got may, here. Yeah, maybe if uh, he hadn't betrayed, like, planned on betraying his walk, like, having more of, like, Yeah, that maybe that would be... A, or, yeah, at least, like, on this class of people or this group. Yeah. So, really, this was just a theater, like, workshop trying to figure out what character he's going to portray. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's all based around this uh, this uh, disconnect where he has to go meet a guide. There was difficulty in getting him to this guide. And the guide, this guy that we're going mm-hmm. to meet, he's the one who dictated how we meet up. Right. Who's telling Paul to go on this little journey by yourself to come meet me. Which is like, it's also just red flags. Right. Right? Of like, but we don't get that well, tension. Stolgar was having a uh, heart attack for Gurney's sake, probably. Yeah. And like, all of it gets uh, boiled down to that one moment when Paul does encounter him. We get this inflection of like yeah. what that meeting would have been. But I, I love just building it up of like, there are all these questions you should really have. And like, I could see so many people be like, you're not, you're not good doing this. This is clearly a trap. Right, right, right. But do you know why Paul would go and do all this? Well, why is that? Oh, I'm asking you. That's a, that's a fair rhetorical question. Oh, no. But uh, just banking on prescience of, like, we're on the path that he... he have least... we already learned not to bank on prescience? It's Very not done a lot of favors to Paul. No, but I think you can count on it for the small things in sure. life, right? Like, uh, he's like, no one in the street's going to shank me. I can sure. see that far. <laughs> I can't see who's going to betray me, but I know I can, make like, walk down Main Street today. Wouldn't that be weird? It's just like, there's a lot of shanking streets today. <laughs> <You're> just like, <laughs> maybe I need to stay in. But nobody gets stabbed in the Holy yeah. Quarter, Mike. It's never happened. Uh, 
We are leaving at sunset as well, though, so we're going to have the obscurity of night to guide us Ooh. through. Uh, it should be a little bit of an ominous time. It's also the time of the rising of the first moon. Mm. I think we're we're right before that moment of safety that we always had in the first yeah. book, right? Like, you always go after the moon, so. Right. This is like, that's your only light source. Yeah, now we're, we're moving a little before then. Uh, Paul mentions the web of security around him, uh, so I like the the ornithopters with night scanners high above. Oh, oh my god! Really cool. And like when he says that too, I just see in my mind like a little flash to like inside that thopter. You can see it's all glad, all black. You know the green glow of the screen. Mm-hmm. And they're just watching that dot so far below, like tracking him. And if anyone else were to look up, it would seem like they're all in just sporadic, random circle motions going mm. over the city. But every one of them is tied to a transmitter on Paul. It's a very Mr. President kind of moment right it, now. It, yeah. I yeah. mean, emperor of the known universe. Sure, yeah. Yeah. All the infrastructure in the world is following him. Uh, like, let alone, we have two uh, degrees of people on the street. We have these quote-unquote picked men who are walking the streets kind of with Paul. Right. Those are the ones, those are Banerjee's men. Those are Banerjee's. Yeah. Uh, then you have the others who are fanned out even further. Right, right. And all of them got to have one good look at the emperor, which to me, that's where I think Frank. That was their payment. Oh, I think that's your <laughs> lax and security man. I think you would let the picked men see him. Don't let the other guys see him. That's now too many people know what Paul looks like. Yeah. That's also a, a security flaw. But we all can't, we count these guys. These are as faithful as faithful can be, apparently. Uh, then we talk about Paul's actual disguise. So mm. let alone he's pure Fremen, but we've put these inserts in his cheeks. So we've, we've changed his face. I, I like to think he's got a fat, fat face. With now. Little cotton balls. Yeah. Make he, him look water fat. He's Marlon Brando. <laughs> Just fill out the jaw. Um, that's what he's out there with. And as Paul is crossing this footbridge, he's going to look back once more. He sees kind of movement in the lights. And that's how we get this uh, knowledge. Like, that's Cheney up there watching. And he's like, oh, she's not happy about this. We had a little mm-hmm. a little domestic before I left here. Mm-hmm. She called this uh, venture hunting for sand in the desert. So it's going to go well. Uh, 100% success rate on those hunts. What a dummy. <laughs> yeah, what a dum-dum. You're acting like Irulan is what you're acting like. Speaking of Cheney, now's your chance. Yeah. Oh, God, no. Paul, all the guards are gone. Yeah. Oh, my oh, God. No. Yeah. That's a great point. Oh, all no. the guards are gone. Who's going to stop Cheney? Not Banerjee. <laughs> no. Oh, my God, no. That, oh, I, oh, poor Paul. He's going to come back to a whole whole different house. Um, but we use this as an excuse to kind of uh, jump back and see that scene when Paul was leaving. This memory of Cheney uh, goes for him, and we get this great little uh, exchange. Uh, for a blurred, emotionally painful moment, he, he relived their parting. At the last instant, Cheney had experienced a Tau glimpse of his feelings, but she had misinterpreted. Now... Ooh. That is kind of cool. And, like, one, we've touched on this a few times of, like, uh, this is how we've been assuming Cheney did infer some knowledge from Paul. Right. And it's kind of like, yeah, we're going to hit it right on the nail. This is exactly what happened when he was leaving. And we even touched on misinterpreting, too, because mm-hmm. that is generally how she does feel it. Other times it was just, like, putting it into better language. But this time Paul's saying, like, no, she really missed the mark. But I love the way she missed the mark, right? It's that Paul, she thinks it's the parting of loved ones when one is entering danger or uh, entering dangerous unknowns. But we know it's the reverse for Paul. Yeah. He is entering the known, the very well-trodden. 
Uh, and he says, would that I did not know, he thought. It's like, oh, that, that's always going to be his one wish, right? Yeah. If I can not see the future. <laughs> what just, dr- I just want one birthday party. Surprise Surprise party. gift <laughs> would be so good. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's tragic, obviously, knowing that, like, Paul leaving her, like, he's going to advance her death. Yeah. Every every time he's advancing this forward, that's Every the action game. he takes thus far. Yeah. But- just it's another step towards it. Tragic. So, with the Tao glimpse, yeah. so like, are they? Is he like almost in a constant state of Tao just by like eating the spice on a regular basis? I, I think the himness, yeah, yeah, just, just like Paul's just uniqueness. Him. Yep. And then anytime they have physical contact, it sure. must bleed over uh, in some manner. So, Mike, we're out of the office building. We can uh, we've crossed that bridge. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm no. We're out oh. across the bridge. We're going into the office building. Oh, okay. Quick, quick jaunt. Now we're into the boring part. We're gonna go into an <laughs> upper passageway, and we're gonna walk through the office building. I'm like, this is literally gonna be the most boring walk of his life right here. And people are moving to and fro, and we just learned the Kizarat never sleeps. This is the phase where we're kind of getting a, another look at the the bureaucratic infrastructure in Paul's world. Mm. Uh, we've been peeling this one back like an onion very slowly to give us different views. Like Corba kind of filled us in a little bit. Now uh, Paul talking with Edric filled us in. Now this is, I think, the most straightforward. Because Paul's even going to go. He passes some signs. And I think this lets us know the breadth of uh, the Kizarat and how they've sort of grown to parallel another organization in this universe. So uh, among the si- among the signs he reads, he got a God. speed merchants, which that I do think is just like drug peddlers, right? It's like it's either it is just speed, speed, yeah, or or maybe it's just like uh, fast merchandise, fast merchandise, fast it's, food, it's two maybe. day shipping, like. Or- <laughs> I like to imagine it's just like someone's like banging the hood of a thousand. Like, man, this top, this mall's got so much desert power. You don't so even know. Much, uh, yeah, it's got to be something. I'm thinking so close at a World War II. Blitzkrieg might be on his mind. Sure, sure. That's but so, I, I do think it's just like drugs. Just drugs. Yeah. Yep. Uh, wind still and retorts. Awesome. So a little repair prop. Mm-hmm. Uh, prophetic prospects. That's where you're getting your tarot cards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. You think it's tarot? You think it's like things? I thought it was people. It could be both. Like, yeah, we're training oracles. I like this idea. Where, like, we're just finding shit that tells us the future. <laughs> like, various divination <laughs> things. I'm like, fuck it. It's like definitely not going in there. Uh, we have another room. Tests of faith. Oh, God. Very cool. So that one is uh, obviously Bene Gesserit's the organization I was alluding to. And makes me think of their various things within the uh, Panoplia Propheticus. Okay. Where it's like they had all these religious things of like the the code words you go back and forth on. Sure. Where like this, I just love tests of faith. Could just be either this is like a list of punishments. This is like a way they manipulate worlds. Oh my god. You know, like just oh, look in the tests of faith. I'm sure we got something you can like bring over to this world and throw down. Uh, next one, religious supply. Any idea? Uh, no, no idea. I was thinking the um the water of life. You could just buy water of life at no, a store. No, no, like this is where. Well, you know, what, what we need to. Uh, I don't. Ooh. Do, I guess. Does Paul. It's just the Reverend Mother spitting in like. No, does Paul have Reverend Mothers out there? Are there Fremen Reverend Mothers within the Kizarat? Does the ritual no. that Aaliyah does happen on other worlds? Oh, God. I you get what I'm saying? And I'm thinking like, do you got to send the, uh, the water out and they do the ritual on those worlds? Hmm. 
or do people come? Is the point of the pilgrimage to come all the way here to see the Oracle? Probably do like closer along those lines. That's a little weird, though. isn't it? But you, since every Fremen, every Siech did it. Mm-hmm. We have all these battalions out and, there. And There's no way they're going across the universe. And no, they have to for every battle. Oh. Remember? Right, 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 yeah, right. Yeah, no, you got to be sending that shit out. Damn. And very, doing this very like, carefully marked. Do not drink. <laughs> Aaliyah's got like a nightly uh, ritual that she's doing too, like the sermon. So yep. she's pumping that out. Well, that's just the shit she's got to drink. Sure, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we are just ringing worms like crazy. Sure, sure. Poor guy. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. How yeah. are we going through them? We got to follow the supply chain all the way back, buddy. <laughs> like, it do affects we, a do lot. We have enough worms to do I, this? You think we got to look at this uh, what is it, lateral integration of, <laughs> or vertical integration <laughs> into our, our pipeline? Uh, goes on. Weaponry. That one's as straightforward as straightforward can be. That's mm-hmm. just worm teeth. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's a warm dentistry. Propagation of the faith. Should be the propagation of the bureaucracy, he thought. <laughs> Thank you for setting that one up. That's, uh, yeah, the ultimate finisher there, to be like, that is all policies. And I'm glad he finished it with a cynical view and um, wants to hit home what I see as sort of an overarching uh, little journey he's going to go on in this chapter, where he's going to start as the religious cynic, which is what we know him as. Sure. Even when he first gets out there with the people, he looks at them as, like, stupid and simple. Mm-hmm. By the end of it, he is just he's, dri- sort of, he's drinking the Kool-Aid, yeah. too. He's lapping it up. He loves it. And he's just like, where's this been my whole life? <laughs> I could have been... Well, just also the, the possibility that Aaliyah might know something else. No, so that that's a... Di- I feel like that's... That's different. A parallel track uh, to like, yeah, that is a whole thing. But I really thought that him experiencing with the people was like uh, a whole thing un- in un- in and unto itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, I'll underline a point I want to make about that as we cross it. Sure. Let me uh, jump back into here, though. So we're gonna we're gonna leave these signs. Uh, and Paul is telling us he's reading them like it's the first time, which very convenient, Paul, because it was our first time reading them. Sure, so yeah. that was nice of him to do. He didn't have <laughs> lovely, to do that. Lovely. Uh, he's he's having this uh, reawakening kind of journey. But I just really like also learning and here that the the Kizarot is this whole new societal class that has emerged. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to really give us the ins and outs of like how they're not Fremen of typically. Right. They are more or less converts usually, which mm-hmm. makes sense with just the scale as you uh, move things up. We need more, so many people. There are only X amount of Fremen. There were 10. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 10 Fremen. 10 Fremen and very good jobs now. <laughs> and uh, basically these converts, they never displace an actual Fremen. So there is a like class society in there where like if you're Fremen, you're, you're good. You, you get special treatment. You're a first class citizen. Everyone else is going to come in after you. And then this uh, citizen, these Kizarat folk, they also use melange both for the benefits, but I would say more to show status. I think uh, Frank puts it on equal level, but I'm betting they just, as soon as you can afford to spend it on melange, you do it. Damn. Uh, and if you can get blue eyes, oh, that makes life a lot easier. Yeah, no. And so you can prove yourself at that point. Yeah, a complete flip from where we were. Remember when we heard the uh, smuggler Tuick talking about the blue eyes with yeah. Bernie? Of like there, it's like, no, you, you don't want to go full blue. That's mm. going to get, you're not going to be able to fit in anywhere. And it's like, no, the tables have turned now. That would be like, eh, you're half-assing it. I wonder if Tuke's still in business. Does smuggling occur on Arrakis now that it's the Emperor's HQ? Uh, oh, no, probably not. Probably not. Can't imagine it does in the same scale. Mm. <laughs> Definitely somebody 
but not as many. I wonder what happened to Old Melange. Old Spice Bear Melange. Yeah. I think he's still in that cave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we just forgot him. I don't think he left. But, I mean, I don't think he's water, but like maybe he just really took to it. Um, these men, though, they're all about uh, routine and records. That's what shapes their lives, the men of the keys are on. They don't care about anything else, really. They, are, they don't really buy into the religion. They'll say what they need Jesus. to say, but they, they're more just for the station in life. Well, I mean, some more than others. Corba, I mean, he seems to really be... Oh, definitely. Yeah, I'm painting with a broad brush. Sure, of, uh, sure. And mainly the the underfolk. Corba, uh, because oh. again, these I'm talking about the ones who are converts coming yeah. in. Corba's Fremen. Yeah. Like, even if Corba... Whatever he's planning and going, he still does believe, like, in Fremen. That is true. Of, like, they're, I think, like, a Fremen superiority, right? Like, we are the ones who, God made Arrakis to train the faithful. Right. That kind of right. thing. I think Corba does believe. But uh, I've, I feel like Frank's underlying for all these others, no. Like, they'll do it, they'll say it, but they really don't mean it. They don't really care who's in charge ever. That's the whole point of, like, how shallow this bureaucracy is and why Paul's empire has no meaning. Mm-hmm. Like th- that's why I think Paul doesn't attach to his empire. Like there's nothing right. there. It's hollow. Uh, then we get this great line of how these men, they're served by mentats. They prefer mentats. They love mentats and they give their lip service to the butlerians. But every action shows how they would prefer machines. It's just easier. Yeah, it is. It makes, it makes routine and records real easy. Yeah. yeah. Does oh, allow empathy. Are we going to be digressing at any point here? Do you think we're going back to machines in the future? What is uh, in this? Like, literally, are we on the course Not back to the, machines? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's a possibility. Definitely. I mean, oh, I can't. I can't take possibilities. Away yeah. No. Me. Yeah. I think. Uh, I mean, based on how, everything we saw in the first book, granted, we saw like a very extreme situation with like Paul coming into this world, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I guess after Shaddam was sort of kicked out of the throne. Uh, every, everything's more... It hasn't been a war of assassins as much anymore, has it? Um, It's been more no, of a, like, no, bloody... No, no. no, you're thinking, well, consider, like, how the, your, the focus skews, I think, our perception of things. We're like, we always see these Ben and Jesuit doing that thing, but we know their orders have, like, all these great high-minded ideals. Mm-hmm. We've never seen a single Ben and Jesuit adhere to those ideals, right? Sure. I would say, like, even with Paul in control and exerting his ultimate control over, like, probably every house, like, I don't think anyone's feuding with the Emperor much anymore. Mm-hmm. But I War of Assassin between houses happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I think all that shit is still going on. Paul didn't change the Imperium. You know, he just put another person in charge. Right, right, right. He changed Sadakar for Fremen, but everything else is still the same. Oh, you know, we, we've just shift, shifted who's in charge, but the power structure is identical. It, yeah, because, like, I think it would just be, like, maybe another uh, rotation in a paradigm mm-hmm. of, like, just a cyclical ex- existence of stagnation. So, and I think within how you were, if you're drawing the line within Shaddam, it would be like you're saying Paul would cause a... It's the reaction to Paul puts us back to machines? Uh, maybe. Just like, uh, I mean, hmm. I don't know. Well, that's what it's like. Well, we're more to, in like a faith-based kind of uh, society now. Well, and to get us, to get machines back in play, you need to change the culture. Yeah. Because it's, it's imbued in the people. It's like they're, 
most fundamental level, they're like, no, no, no machines. Like, we don't even question that. Sky's mm-hmm. blue. Don't make a computer. But if the keys are on, like, you know, the head of the, like, religious order. There you go. If, like, so within this, yeah. this conspiracy, this plot, like, if that final message somehow spins that on its head and, yeah, is able to, like, yeah. change that message around. Like, no, no, you can make a machine. It's looking into time. That's the real sin, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you somehow just change uh, the ev- or transmute that evil into something else entirely. I, could, I don't know. I feel like they might do it. All right. Someone's well, going to do it. Let's, uh, let's, it's the, the Trixie Tilaxu. I'm telling you. Trixie Tilaxu. It'd be the Ixians, Mike. Come oh. on now. Tilaxu, don't fuck with machines. <laughs> they, they make people. Right, right, right. Uh, Ix was the, the, uh, the planet where it all started, right? Where what all started? Um, with, uh, the butler and Jahan. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yep. Yeah. yeah, going full circle. Back on, Com- oh, Comos. It was Comos. Which then, yep, that's right. And then what was the other moon? Riches. Yes, thank you. So good. Our history is coming together. Hey. We didn't know shit when we started timeline-wise. <laughs> like, somewhere back in there. I don't even know where Terra is. <laughs> All right, well, let's leave the Butlerian and the machine speculation aside. We, we can go endlessly with that. that uh, so we got to get out of this office building. And we're going to take a ramp. And it's going to lead down to a square that is, I think, goes up to Aaliyah's fane. I'm a little vague on the actual geometry mm-hmm. there because, like, the fane is a mile and a quarter <laughs> to a side. So, like, how big is the square? It, it's got to be fucking huge. It's, I mean, it's, it's a giant place. It's a giant, yeah, but Paul, a city. Paul seems to cross it in, like, two seconds here. Do, do, do. Mm-hmm. Down this ramp. Oh, I'm at the fane. <laughs> maybe he just lost in thought. We, yeah, or he maybe the world's biggest super slide. That, yeah, that, that might do it. Uh, the bells start chiming though, and the bells are calling Paul. They're mm-hmm. beckoning him, and we get this inter- interesting observation by Paul that when he's he's looking over the city here, and even the weather is building up the myth against his will because it's all these buildings are brand new. Mm-hmm. They're like what, not twelve years old? Yeah, and they're at, starting at to mode. wear and tear from the sand. They're starting to age. They're all weathered. They look ancient. This place looks like it's full of tradition and mystery. Oh, this place was put here on purpose, for sure. Exactly. Well, just people are going to come here and think it's always been this way. You right. Know? You get that kind of a feeling like it's meant to be. And it's just like, God damn. No, everything is where even the planet is finally like, ha-ha, this it's, is like a little joke we're it's playing. It's finally interesting to have Paul take a look at this uh, prophetic uh, perspective. Like, how the Fremen first viewed him when he, he was commanding the Fedaiken. Yeah. And how so, could you know? And yeah, yeah, and just looking here, it's like, oh, th- that these are the tricks that yeah. like, and this is the first little bit of him like slipping in of like, this is what people coming to the square would see and feel. Mm-hmm. Now he's still a little cynical of it, but he's like at least recognizing it, and it seems like again, kind of for the first time, if not just like he wanted to tell us on his way through here. Mm-hmm. Now Paulie, he, he's moved uh, right into the crowd of people, and. Uh, this, is, this is where we learned his guide insisted to be this way. This is what no one else was really here for. We're like, you have to move into this giant crowd. And just, that's how you're going to find him. Yeah. And then from there, we're going to go on to wherever this meeting place is. Uh, but it's like, all right, all right. And again, I, I think the only reason Paul's okay with this is that he's got that prescience to be like, no, it, it will be fine. Like, I will meet up with him. And it's, it's the guy that actually finds him too, right? Yep. Yeah, he's just, Paul just shows up. 
and does his thing, which is like, I don't know how the guy does his thing, but like. He was just given instructions by Stilgar. I was like, look for the Godfather. No, Rasir. Oh, of like, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you want the one who's going to make you an offer you can't refuse. The day of my sister's sermon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, can't, I can't refuse a guide on the day of. This, the day of my sister's sermon. Oh, I love it. You know, you can even, the beginning, the first line of the movie is, I believe in America. You can go there. I believe in Arrakis. Oh, God. All right. So, because he's got disguised as this uh, hardcore Fremen, we learned in two different chapters, Mike, that people give a wide berth to a hardcore Fremen. The OG yeah. Fremen, right? And I, that's the only reason I think Frank put that there. This is a good, like, full circle bit, where now... Everybody uh, is pressed in, but Paul's still got a little wiggle room. He's got mm. some elbow room. He's moving pretty easily. You don't want to rub a Fremen the wrong way. No. And as he gets closer, it gets more packed, and people do start. They start bumping him. They start hitting him. And oh. he, he becomes the recipient of just, pardon, sir. Who, I abase myself, holy citizen. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that one. I would love, if someone bumped into you and said, I abase myself, holy citizen. <laughs> it's like, whoa. It's like, damn. No one gets stabbed in church. You are definitely forgiven. No, no one does, and no one ever has. Um, <laughs> we have found stabbed people, but I don't think anyone's ever been stabbed here. Uh, so he, he he just kind of like uh, takes that, and this is the first time where I think Paul is a little of a douchebag to the people, where he's just mm. like, they're, uh, he, he doesn't even feel meaning in them. It's like a ritual of fear, and they say it. And that's where I'm like, even them, he's saying like, they're doing this just as a reaction. They don't even mean this. Mm -hmm. Like, none of it is like truthful. Uh, and now Paul, we're going through here, right? He's sort of just like, what has led my, to like finally being on this path where I'm putting my feet right now, mm -hmm. what has brought me all the way here from Castle Caladan? And like, ooh, great, great hollaback, right? Yeah. In that first chapter, that little place we've been, that little place we used to call home. And he thinks to himself, like, did he ever make the choice to come here? Did he ever make a single choice really to put him on this path? Well, no, I mean, coming here, it wasn't his choice. That was his father's choice. No. Well, he gets to, the, I think, the most succinct summation of the first book and puts it in very simple words what we, I think, we belabored to try to say. Paul says, he can honestly say he has never made a decision for one specific reason. Oh, dang. I love that. That is and he's 30 years old? 35. Oh, God. Uh, that's the whole problem with the first book is, like, he's never able to just say, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for Leto or, like, anything like that. It's always, like, it's a little bit for you. It's a little bit, like, I see the course of this. I see, like, this jihad coming. Like, there were always so many things pushing him in various directions. Like, never gets to make a decision for one specific reason. I can't imagine that. No, that's amazing. That also means like Paul's never made a completely selfish decision in his life. That feels like a little bit, not just the prescience there, but also curse of the Mentat in a way. Just like follow what's logical. Yeah, okay. Or yeah, I, I see like logical to make the decision and then just the ability to analyze the decisions you do make. Yeah. Like, yeah, you would always be like, no, all these factors are there. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Uh, but I, I love just that you're, he condenses that right down. I'm like, yeah, that's the whole problem, right? He's never been able to make a thing for one reason. What about the decisions for, uh, for Cheney? Uh, what even you mean now? Yeah. Or like prior to this, like, um, you know, uh, making sure that she wasn't having an heir. 
well, I, I, hmm. Because, like, he knew everything there. He had a choice. No, but I think, didn't he also do a good job of, like, illuminating the other contributing factors, though? Like, it wasn't always just Cheney. Okay, it was like, if I do put oh, her for on... for a single reason. Okay, I got you. You gave it, yeah, or, like, I mean, granted, that's me, like, I'm playing the uh, the defendant here. Sure, like, no, that's I'm fine. making up a reason, I think, to an extent, but I get your point of, like, he... This book is making Cheney a heightened reason. Uh, we have done some things at least on that track. I guess that when you have like a million eyes and a million different times, you can't just turn blind eyes to them all. Yeah, yeah. You can't not know. Yeah. And that's, again, it's been the thing he wants to do. You can't surprise Paul. He would love it if you could. Mm-hmm. He would love to not know what's around the next corner. Just got to fly in a sandstorm. That worked out last time. Yeah, but you can only do that once. I think I think you showed you can only do one thing once, and then you know. Um, but Paul tells us right now he is moving towards a clear vision of the future, one he does not want. So again, just telling us like I'm on the tracks. Mm-hmm. I'm still following the plan I told you guys about in chapter like two, yeah. uh, and we haven't deviated. If anything, it's getting clearer and clearer, and he's not happy about that because we were supposed to find an off ramp. Maybe a chapter ago, maybe two. <laughs> not, not coming not, up here. I haven't seen one yet. I think Paul already knows the end of the book. He doesn't like the end of no, the book. No, but he still did. He, yes, he chose the end, but he still is hoping at yeah. somewhere along the way to that Some, end. Yeah. I can like veer right toward just like quit. He's just going to rage quit uh, when we get the, right before we get there. Oh. Now, at some point, the crowd uh, surges and it moves Paul with them. And now we start getting this crowd is just a metaphor for Paul's control over his own life. They literally, they literally take him. He's physically not in control of anything. He's being moved along with the currents by this crowd, this mass of people, his people. And they move him into the temple portico. So we're outside the temple in some sort of a porch structure. There would be a roof overhead that's like supported by pillars. And a smell of fear grew. So all these people, like, they all have moved up here. This is what they want. But, like, they start getting tense. Because that's where Aaliyah's going to come at him. Like, I just think that's such a weird... And the Fremen, obviously, so cute into scent and stuff like that. Like, this is how Paul would describe the event. (laughs) Like, yes, everybody just started to stink a little bit. (laughs) Stink of fear. Now, the Acolytes had already begun the service with their chant about Aaliyah when he shows up here. Uh, do we, do we want to go through this chant? Uh, do you want to glide through it? Or do you want to skip sure. over it? Didn't you already tell it, tell us this one last time or did we? That was no, no, part. no. That was a different part. I got my excerpt from last week. I always okay. got that mark okay. for you. No, no. Uh, why don't we go? Let's go one for one on sure. this one. If you can put a little, little sound into there. Sure. I can do yeah. it. Yeah. She rides the sandworm of space. She guides through all storms into the land of gentle winds. Though we sleep by the snake's den, she guards our dreaming souls. Shutting the desert heat, she hides us in a cool hollow. The gleaming of her white teeth guides us in the night. By the braids of her hair, we are lifted up to heaven. Sweet fragrance, flower-scented, surrounds us in her presence. Paul thought, <laughs> and this is about thinking in Fremen. Yeah, 
thinking from it. That's great. Isn't that a great little touch? But let's uh, just focus. I want uh, this little line of it because we're going to reinforce it when Aaliyah does start talking. But I, I obviously I can't go past Sandworm of Space and not be like, she rides the Sandworm. That's when she's in her Oracle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She takes the Sandworm out into the stars, <laughs> Mike. Uh, and then we build up these kind of... Uh, what are these uh, juxtaposed duality sort of thing? The night in the darkness, you know, um, storms, she, gentle winds. Exactly. Um, we, we bring up the invo- invocation of teeth is like guiding us through the night. Just this protection and this danger aspect that get folded into her. Saint Aaliyah of the nice knife, huntress of a billion worlds. Ooh. Um, and then Paul chiming in that just undoing it all a little bit. Cause again, he's gotta be the cynic here mm-hmm. going in. And he tells us, uh, like, that's not all she is. She can be filled with angry passion, too. Underlying, like, that's like when he told Edric, like, she'll kill you. (laughs) She'll do it. You can fuck with anything. Don't mess with Aaliyah. Uh, Aaliyah fills many roles within this religion. Now, within this whole portico, we have uh, tall, slender glow tubes simulate candle flames by subtly flickering. (laughs) He he invented that tea light before it ever came. And uh, these are all here to stir up just your ancestral memory. And they work even in Paul. And he's like a little jaded by that because he knows like, ah, this is again the trickery that I pull too. Like the weather was one thing. This is my fault. Like we are going out of our way to trick these people. But it looks good. It looks good. Eh? So we now like are going to move into the temple. The crowd of people flows again. Paul's pulled with them. We go into the temple. We pass giant metal doors. And we go into a gigantic nave. So it's the uh, the interior section of a church where like a congregation would gather. Mm-hmm. Uh, where all your seats in the aisles would be and such. And it's pretty simple. Uh, outside of the scale of it, obviously. Very large. And uh, up ahead of the altar, there's a black wood encrusted with sand patterns from the Fremen mythology. So I'm like, I don't really know what that would look like. I really wanted to know like what the sand pattern is there with. Yeah. Because I thought it was going to be something like set in the wood or etched in. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's just like a bas-relief kind of effect then. I would assume it's kind of like a, a relief. And the, just the encrusted is like weird. I was expecting like gem encrusted or something from there. But that's up there. And then my favorite part. And like, if you would have told me about this uh, as like a question out of hand, I would have been like, no, there's no fucking rainbow doorway that Aaliyah walks rainbow! through. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what the prude door is? No. It's a prudence door. It is the door with the five layer shield on it. Oh, that, that like the Baron had. That the Baron had in his room that when Raban came yeah. and visited him. So you have to have the key or basically like a little marker or something that's emitting a signal that is synced up that lets you through all five doors uh, at once. But I like these. So this idea of these shimmering fields that go up and then we, we have these subtle lights that are hidden shining on them to give it this like rainbow borealis. This is like a WWE entrance right now. And that's what I gotta do. <laughs> I was thinking, like, it's a great, she's got a fucking hype man out there for her. Aaliyah, Aaliyah, Aaliyah. Yeah, it's it's totally a hype man. It's like an awesome fucking event. And like the rainbow door, it's all set up. Mm. She has seven rows of chanting acolytes. Oh, Jesus. Um, and the spectral curtain. Now, Jump me back into Paul's view real quick. He studies the pilgrims around them, and he's he's a little jealous. Yeah, maybe, maybe that might be me inferring a little bit, but he like he sees that they get something from all this, and it's something that satisfies them. 
something denied to him, something that is mysteriously healing. And the, the healing part is where I feel like the, I, I put in the jealousy. Where I'm like, sure, I, yeah. think, I think he would want that. He, like, like, they, they get something out of this. Like, maybe, maybe this is his moment of, like, can I sort of lower my cynicism here? Can I enjoy this as well? Yeah, you think, you think he wants to? And maybe I think he, that, maybe that's he wants he to, needed? but he just can't turn off. No, never can. And I, what I found weird, too, is at this moment, so all that's happening, he's a little cynical, he tries to make his way closer to the altar. And I'm like, I wonder why he wanted, if that was a compulsion or instruction. Hmm. It, it I want to believe it's compulsion because that would just be really cool. But it seems like the compulsion part comes later on, too, yeah. right? Like, I don't feel like he's in that mindset just yet. But, yeah, yeah, it's strange. And nonetheless, he doesn't get a chance to because the hand sort of shoots out, grabs him on the arm. And this is that moment of, like, uh-oh, betrayal? Has it, has it finally, is this it? Is this the end of my line? And he looks and he recognizes the ancient Fremen, Rasir. And this is going to be a new guy from the old CH days. And he's like, oh, shit. And then he's just like, we're, we're to go to them. Like, he gives him the code, and he's like, oh, okay, it's my guide. Time to go. And the tension's all gone. I'm like, okay. Uh, it was a weird amp of pressure just to drop yeah, yeah. it all of a sudden and be like, whatever. It's really awkward, too, because in my book, that's like the end of that page. You're like, whoa. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> just like, oh, yeah. No, no, <laughs> I'm, I was no. supposed to meet them here. They were good. Like, yeah, oh, and I'm like, what the oh. hell? I, yeah, I, just, I, I wanted to be more, and maybe that's why I keep analyzing those lines a little more too intently. But very cool. We get another Fremen, Rasir. Mm-hmm. Got to go into our, uh, our archives here of our favorite Fremen. And before they can go anywhere, the show starts, Mike. The crowd surges forward again. This time they're moved a few meters or push forward. Like, that's no short distance. And uh, they're packed in like sardines. The song begins faintly, then louder from behind the brew door. Now, this is where Aaliyah starts. And it's Aaliyah, Aaliyah, Aaliyah. And this is growing and growing. It's the uh, singers coming out with them, right? And it began in a Vesper soft voice. Ooh. Yeah. Now, oh, I guess, do we got to go through? No, let's, let's skip through this one. We, sure. did, we went through all the last one for it. Um, the bit I wanted to point out in here, though, is uh, this one evokes a lot of stuff that I think is sort of hearkening to the story of Aaliyah and how she came here. Like, uh, she stills all storms. Her eyes kill our enemies. Uh, just the storm part, that was one of the greatest nights when we kind of met her. Mm-hmm. I, I think back to the the uh, Battle of Arrakis, that whole storm coming in, where, like, I think she would have been, like, a, sure. obviously strong force. We jump forward a few ones from the spires of Tuano, where Dawnlight strikes. Tuano Basin is where Jessica was brought into the tribe. Oh, yeah. A little baby Aaliyah in her tum-tum. Uh, so I think it's just, it's just that we're going to call that where Dawn strikes. Like, that's where the day begins here. Interesting. Right? Like, so, I mean, America, we'd like to say Maine. We take credit for where, where America's <laughs> day begins. But, like, well, we have the coats to define that, to sure, give you, like, yeah, a yeah. good reason to be like, we'll start it here. Like, where do you choose on a desert planet? Like, yeah, sure. Any place is as good as the next. So I, I love the idea of, like, a meridian being right over Tuano because of, like, the Fremen significance. Where I came into the tribe. Exactly. And it's where dawn light strikes and clear water runs. You see her shadow. Ooh. And that, that, I don't know what to make of that fully, but like just a little ominous right there. Uh, we know shadows are menacing kind of figures with this. Uh, I don't think there's anyone else I'd pull out. Then it's sort of like how she is the, you know, she provides sustenance 
She's the sort of fertility god from that point on. She pierces all mysteries. Then the voice trails off. Paul felt sickened. What are we doing? He asked himself. <laughs> and then he has like the most Atreidean thought I think you could possibly have. Because he's totally serious with this. I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, Aaliyah was a child witch. But she's growing older. <laughs> no one else would be like, child witch. Like, That's my sister. And like, one, she's a teenage witch at this point. She's 15. A wicked teenage witch. We have our first teenage witch. There's a sitcom show in here somewhere. It is. Uh, if, if she had two aunts that she lived with. Aaliyah. Hara. <gasps> Yara and Tharthar. Yeah, you're right. Dude, we did I would it. watch the shit out of that show. Aaliyah the teenage witch. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ah. Uh. But, oh, man, and that one comedian aunt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her name is like Caroline. I don't remember her last name, real life favorite. So fucking funny. So good. Ah, leaving that aside, Paul then thinks, and he thought, growing older is to grow more wicked. Just to get your wicked in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's it, implying onto Aaliyah. And just very interesting that that's the way he wants to look at that. And Does he know something about her? Well, I was going to ask you, with that last line, is it about Aaliyah or is it personal projection? I mean, with Paul, it's so hard to tell. It doesn't need to be, I guess, it can be both, It's sort of. It doesn't need to be exclusively one or the other. I, I think in a way that Paul's a recognition of where I've gotten, right? Because mm-hmm. that's going to be what Paul experiences today. He looks back at his empire, finally. He finally sees his effect on the whole world. Mm-hmm. So I think a little bit, he's sort of like, oh, yeah, I've done some wicked shit. Like, yeah. might have been better it's, if I... Maybe it's just in Atreides' blood. We're going to fuck things up. Yeah, Mom did it. I did it. It's She's almost gonna do it. It's almost like they're Harkonnens. <laughs> fucking <laughs> weird. Xnay, uh, Xnay. Yeah, this whole moment though, it does uh, quite the number on Paul's psyche. So that like that moment of sickness. What are we doing here? Right? It's just like a gut punch to him. It, it's just like a gut punch to him, and he is finally ne- or in this crowd. He's, he's like isolated, even though he's completely packed in, right? Mm-hmm. He gets a sense that he's personally there. And he says he is isolated by that personal sin that can never be atoned for. Ooh, that sounded like Jessica right there. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Uh, her sin was love. What's Paul's? What's the, what's the ultimate sin? Him standing there, like at this point, is it the jihad? I think it is it the uh, is it the decision he made with Cheney over an heir? Because that was the other thing he was wondering: is that evil for me to have made that choice? Maybe the Shahad, maybe Cheney. I mean, is it even more than that? Is maybe. it just like how he used the Fremen, or his power? His power, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. But like if he didn't have that, where would the universe be right now? May not be in a better state. Would probably be in the same state, and that's not necessarily a good thing. We've learned. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say probably would have just been the same. Maybe Emperor Harkonnen takes the throne. <laughs> uh, it, it'd be a weird world, nonetheless. But I, I love that. And the, the Paul keeps having these moments of uh, when he's in the most contact with other people, he feels more alone than ever. Mm. And especially out here like that. So living in this sort of personal hell that he's in, he then wonders, like, uh, how could any one person ever hope to unite the universe under one banner like looking at this religion that he's created how could one ritual ever apply to every person on every world at all times it's never going to be possible like i 
didn't ever stand a chance to build what I tried to build. And mm. that's why it's going to fall down all around me. Like there's no support structure here. Uh, there was nothing to cling on to. The, this next line, uh, I really enjoy because it evokes a key motif, Mike, one that we've been following, but like shape as a concept and then reality versus expectations. Because okay. Paul's, he, this is the sort of a uh, capstone to this thought of like uh, building this universe out. The universe opposed him at every step. It eluded his grasp, conceived countless disguises to delude him. The universe would never agree with any shape he gave it. Oh, love that. That's very similar. Like he was talking before. Yeah. We were talking about like shape of plastic before. Yes. Yes, we were. That was one of them I wanted to key in. That's my shape. If if we're talking about the same thing twice, Frank's doing it for a reason. Come on. on. (laughs) That's why we have the button. I got your back, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So that one, do you remember whose plastic shape it was? Uh, no, I, I can't recall. It was Duncan Idaho. So that was when we were talking with Cheney. And he, he was explaining to Cheney. Like, she's like, is gotcha. that really Duncan? He's like, oh, that's Duncan. Like, that shape, mm-hmm. nothing could be so close to that and hold that form for so long without reverting back. Like, that mm. is pure Duncan right there. So we should evoke the idea of the Gola. Definitely. We want to think about that one. We want to think, too, about when Paul was remarking before of how uh, he tried to exert his control over the universe. He then is like, I can't even control this planet. The universe has these forces that are pushing beyond, you know, right. over him. It's beyond him. his own, like, sculpting in a way. Mm-hmm. Then the last one. What's, uh, did you get the last little uh, double entendre in here, if you will? Uh, which one? Uh, I think I would just say it's an allusion to a face dancer. Oh, countless disguises to delude him. Interesting. Who else has been putting on more faces than he can manage this uh, book? Though we just did not get Paul. Oh, Trent's at the so finish close. line. So close. So like, he didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's the worst part, though. Sidedale he thinks he's nailed it. I bet by now he's like, ah, uh, you know, because he's in prison right yeah. now. Like. <laughs> yeah that's right he's in a nice room but he can't leave like and there's always someone watching him i bet sidetail figured out like yeah i fucked up (laughs) but yeah i love there was an hour of just like cloud nine i can't wait to tell edric all about this like like the waiting room is actually his prison he just doesn't realize it like wait a second oh oh i'm not going anywhere why is there a bed in here (laughs) yeah yeah you're sticking around um, so I, I just love all that sort of, uh, we're all packed right in here uh, into this one little line, this one little paragraph, uh, and we're just using the universe at every step. Now we gotta, we gotta look, uh, this next section of my guy just put Aaliyah at work. Cause like we've seen Paul at work and Aaliyah came in and would just threw some shade at Corba, right? When we had that meeting. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen Aaliyah be a detective. This is Aaliyah's day job. This is like when she was a detective, that was like when we hired, uh, Jessica to be a detective, or no, when we brought Cheney up, like, oh, yeah, yeah. that's special circumstance. Special circumstance. This is every day, this is what she goes out and does. Wow. Yeah. Right? It it doesn't seem like she enjoys her job. No, I don't (laughs) think so either. Because, like, so we're back into Paul's head here, and a profound hush settles over the room. And then Aaliyah emerges from the shimmering rainbows. (gasps) She has a yellow robe trimmed in green. Sunlight, and then green is death, which produced life. So yellow for the sun and green for death. So life and death. Mm-hmm. Very cool. No, 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 no. 
just yellow is the sun. Green is the death which produced life. Oh. It's important that those are combined because that's sort of like a redemption of the Atreides colors, I think. Oh. Bringing that green back. Because green was, wasn't green uh, the color of mourning? Um, Isn't that what Chaney had on her arm oh. when Paul? I, oh, it might have been. I, I, let me uh, look it yeah, up. I want to make sure I get that right. So, yeah, so it is a green band of mourning that Chaney was wearing back then. Uh, so yeah, I, I think a redemptive quality definitely in there for sure. And that, I mean, that just goes to show though, that like there are numerous way like pathways you can take. Cause originally he was trying to stop the jihad that, that black and green meaning like just death. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I don't, he didn't stop that though. He didn't stop the jihad. This is, this is at, no, but even that it still would have meant that for, I think like 10 years. Oh, you get what I'm saying? Like the, re- guess, the religion yeah. would have sort of come as an, uh, after the jihad, or at least like grown from. So it. this is sort of the transformation of that. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, when Paul is finally back in control, like he had no control over that part. I think he is like, I can do this a little bit. I can shape it. Mm. Like, and whatever he did uh, do in that twelve-year period, the point is that he became disillusioned with it. I think of like that's why guy is hell and is setting up. We can't let him care. Right. right that would right. be the words if he ever did. And so I, there's got to be a moment within that 12 years where he stopped caring. And I think that's where it lets shit go off the things. But, like, I bet he, I, or at least I hope he would have done the effort to, like, I need to correct the flag. You know, my father's colors. Yeah. Anything attached to my dad, I should at least straighten up a little bit. And, like, with the Fremen, the green morning, I think, totally makes sense. They have such a interesting view of life and death, especially when it comes to, like, the spice. Yeah. The culture, because it's from the death of the worm that we get the waters of life. Mm-hmm. Well, and they're just their casual acceptance of I mean, death yeah, exactly. as part of life. Like, that's uh, very fundamental to them on levels that it's not for other people, right? Mm-hmm. Just the harshness that they grow with. Uh, so it does make it a lot easier to co-opt these into, like, um, these extravagant meanings uh, and put two things that most people would maybe consider opposed and be like, no, these are two sides of the same coin. Like, we are very literal people. All right, so Aaliyah's come out. We got these new colors on. And Paul has this thought that Aaliyah has emerged just for him. Oh. I bet everyone there thinks that, though. Uh, <gasps> that would be great for putting Paul in the shoes of every yeah. pilgrim, right? Yeah. I hope that. Let's see. Let's go over that. Yeah. Like, I think pa- Paul is feeling the towel right now a little bit. This is, oh, man. Interesting, because, like, there, I, I don't think I'll, like, wow, sorry, words. Yeah. I don't feel like... <laughs> I'm um, imagining nor- my, oh. normally he's like going to be the center of the town because of his prescience. Things are going to like flood into people and people are going to be awed and wowed. Paul, he's not going to be surprised by anything new. A lot of things he's already seen or known, but with Aaliyah, I think she's a little bit different. She's the exception. She's like him. I think maybe this is his chance to actually formally experience the Tao in a way. Okay. So because like, uh, I'm going to put this in like plumbing terms, like Paul has positive pressure, right? You're attaching him to the system because okay. there's so much like Paul. I'm not a plumber. You're talking to the wrong dude. Mike, when you got the tube, let's say you know you got a little reservoir here. You got a big reservoir and there's a tube connecting them. Yeah. They're going to equalize, right? Okay. 
Paul's got more pressure. His is the positive pressure. It's pushing out. Oh. You know what I'm saying? And like you're just hooking up as many attachments as you can. But mm-hmm. Paul's reservoir is so sure, ridiculous. Sure. But when you get he, something of an equal reservoir. Yeah, now we're talking and maybe Paul's feeling a little empty. Uh, it's all a different game here. <laughs> yeah, you're saying that like Aaliyah's powers, maybe he's just in this receptive mode. And like we have no idea what her powers are. That's another motif of this book. Of like, what can she do? So, yeah, maybe there's just a little something special out there for him today. Uh, But so he's out here, and he has this thought of, like, "Ah, I know this ritual. I know its origins. You know, like, I made this. You know, I was when Aaliyah was three, we talked about what this was going to be like and yada, yada. But he's never watched it from here. He's seen it from up top. He's looked from her perspective down. He's seen, you know, the side view. But he's never stood with the people and looked up. And just experienced it. How refreshing does that have to be for him? I, you know, the I, freshest perspective he's had in God knows how long. But it, I think, yeah, you need the confluence of everything that he also yeah. he wants it so bad. Like he's sure. he's looking for something right now. He I doesn't mean, know what it is, but it's true. like it's like Paul. You're just looking for God. It's really <laughs> fucked up. I was about to say, like, is he just looking for religion at this he, point? He is going on the most cliche, like, I just need to find who me, what I believe in. Like, what is the meaning of life? Corvo would just be like, you are. You. <laughs> you. Mirror. Mirror. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, Look no further. You found him. <laughs> um, and, like, ah, so he has this introspective thing. And from here, from this bottom, from looking up, he sees that Aaliyah takes part in the universe that opposes him. Ooh. So that, I didn't know if I'm, so we've been keeping an eye on what Aaliyah's powers are. Like, what do you take from that observation? Just like, so Paul's already said, like, this universe opposes me at every turn. I'm not part of it. When he's here, he's like, oh, she is, though. It's, I don't think it's malicious, though. I don't, I don't, no, no, I don't get that either. Like, it's not, I don't think it's any hatred. I don't, it's just, it's like the Mentat. Just mm. checking that box. Like, oh, didn't know this before. But here she is. Aaliyah gets to have religion. And maybe that, there's got to be a little point of being like, but why can't I? Because I, he wants this so bad. But looking up, the acolytes come out now. And they bring a golden chalice to Aaliyah. And this contains the unaltered melange. Oh, we've come a long way since that. Stinky old uh, that spice sack, bag. That big old bag <laughs> of spice. Uh, yeah, and they do sort of like this sing-song prayer with Aaliyah that's about the spice, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's effect on space-time, the power that it brings. And the end of it, however, I, I want to give this one the thing we read here. It's just Aaliyah and them going back. Aaliyah says, in worlds we perish. And they say, in the power we survive. So, I mean, that one, I'm thinking, like, the power might literally mean, like, the memories, that ancestral memories the Fremen found eventually oh. in their history, right? It's a, it's a form of sure, immortality yeah. that they found. We survive in the power. On all these worlds, we perish. Whole- sure. I mean, like, that's how your Reverend Mothers are created. And that's what I think we're recounting the Hajj here, essentially. And just these worlds where we lost whole tracks of people. Just imagine uh, Walk Nine. It's like, now everyone's a Penny Jesser, right? Oh, you think you're all <laughs> so special. <laughs> Could be. Uh, Paul, though, surprising himself. This is the best part. He's as caught up as anyone else in this moment. Aaliyah doing that. He's just like, oh, 
what, what's going to happen next? Like, what, what's she going to do? He's finally experiencing the mystery of religion. This is it. Aaliyah falls to her knees, trembling. A collective exhale, Paul included, from the enraptured pilgrims. So she's doing this whole ritual. Falls, mm-hmm. like She's doing like, oh. It's, is, it's performance art right now. I was thinking, who's the, uh, James Brown. You know when he was, uh, <laughs> they, put, they put the coat on him. We, yeah. gotta, we gotta take him off stage. You can do it. And then they call him back then when the guitar plays. And he, he can slide him back out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's gonna be Aaliyah. Because yeah, this is their rock show. This is their WWE experience. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine Aaliyah like power sliding up to sit through that rainbow shield door. <laughs> the rainbow with an electric guitar wailing on it. It's an electric, uh, electric palisade. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Now, this causes Paul to have an epiphany. And this is the one that I think the conspiracy failed. And why this moment is so important to him. And mm. why I'm putting the Aaliyah thing as a parallel track. Because sure. I think this is so key. He has a transcendental presence speak to him. This isn't terrible purpose, Mike. This isn't disengaged. This is something else entirely that goes, look, see there. See what you've ignored? And now Paul looks, and he's looking through everyone else's eyes. The place is more colorful than it's ever been. Everything is alive, it's vivid, it's beautiful. No poet or artist could ever capture this moment. And he sees his empire in a new light. It's all power gluttony. Mm. Power gluttony, Mike. It's all Harkonnen. Oh, ooh. the emperor is just a Harkonnen. I mean, yeah. Yeah. We knew that. Hey, we didn't even celebrate. No, I mean. Vlad got his way. Exactly. I mean, the whole point, like, it's a literal in every facet. But, like, all Paul has done is exactly what the Baron would have done if the Baron took over. Oh. Yeah. God. Yep. Ew. Like I need a bath. Just uh, then we'll wash over you a little bit. You're gonna feel a little dirtier, but uh, yeah, no. But you see, that's all we we just changed some some tags around. But like, we just stopped everyone. We punished everybody because of like what, what the emperor did. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all over. But no, I love. I just want to point the transcendental presence is pushing there. Paul is reflecting on his empire, seeing it as power gluttony. That's him seeing like what I've done wrong. He's empathetic for what he's done. He wants to correct this, it seems. How could you not? Mm-hmm. Like, at least put it in the moral right. Then we get to my excerpt from last week, Mike. This other sermon of luminous night. <laughs> uh, this dark creation. And it sort of reiterates the chant from earlier. This idea, the idea that nothing hides from Aaliyah, especially when she performs the oracle. Sure. That's going to be key for what Paul is looking for here. Because he's going to be very curious of what did Aaliyah see, right? And the people are telling us the whole chapter, everything. She saw everything. <laughs> And you need to just decide whether you think that's Frank being literal or is that just, you know, a quinky a dink? Um, I don't know. Yeah, and that, that's me obviously leading you too. Now it's even more confusing. Uh, but Paul, though, he wants Aaliyah to send him some sort of signal. He right. wants this to be for him. Again, everyone. Everyone. No, and I, I think that is key because ultimately she doesn't, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he left a little like, aww. And it's like, Probably everyone else feels too, because yeah. I thought it was just me we'll and her. Be here tomorrow night. <laughs> exactly. And uh, 
Aaliyah, she just gives the normal script, though, when she, mm-hmm. she, you know, worlds will be conquered, exalted destinies, yada, yada, yada. It is the most, like, probably every night since we've been jihadi. But you know what? Here's the interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, between Paul and Aaliyah, Aaliyah is embracing the religion. She's using it to sort of appease people, like, keep their appetites fed in a way. Paulie just ignores it. But that's because he gave it to her. He put her in that position. Sure. And like she accepted it because what did she tell us before? I can't recall. It was that there were she had no alternative. She couldn't not be in this position. Sure. Even though she also resented being in control of the church. Mm-hmm. So like it's something of a very similar position Paul's in where it's like, no. And she doesn't tell us what. Just that the alternative is worse. It's a right. it's a cop out, but like we accept that it's there. In the was it 12 years since the Valerian Jihad? No, no. 12 years since Paul got oh, power. that's true. Valerian <laughs> Jihad was... Uh... 10,000 years ago. <laughs> wow. Twelve. I'm sorry. 12,000 almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going through this wine quick. <laughs> God damn it. What do you want to say about the Valerian? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Oh, nothing jihad. at all. No, the Atreidian Jihad. Okay. Yeah. 12. Totally. Yeah, 12. Uh, God damn it. John! Well... Um, in the 12 years span that happened, mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe that Aaliyah and Paul didn't partake in, like, a Tao together. And I don't know if it has to do with, like, I like what your analogy to the plumbing mm-hmm. and, like, the different reservoirs. If, like, she, hers needed time to mature and build up. Like, Paul was, like, 15 when his, like, started. But then again. Right where she is now. Yeah, but she yeah. had, she's a reverend mother as a, a fetus and yeah. has been and pre-born. on spice her entire life. Yeah, well, yeah, preborn and preborn, yeah, thing. exactly. It's separate. It's just a little bit different for Reverend Mother, sure. Uh, with the reasons, we'll like we'll go and I think in Children of Doom we'll expand upon even further. Awesome, uh, but just the the idea that in that time they mm-hmm. not them not sharing a towel just feels so far fetched to me, and maybe it's just the the aspect that Paul is trying to open himself up to this. Yeah, he is that, being re- that's where I'm saying I think it has to be all things to get you like right. the dramatic effect it has on Paul. But you know, they certainly have had the tab together. They've done all these things together. But I don't think we've been in an instance where one, we've completely blinded time mm-hmm. in the past. Like whenever Paul took that spice thing, that was like the 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 we drew the curtain right, sure. and no one gets to see anything now. We're all relying on what we did see. Uh, and that would affect Aaliyah too during the sermon. Like, I think she would be seeing like the, the, you know, the shades are closed. So she might've just been bullshitting when she did her little Oracle too, which oh, maybe. maybe she does every day, but, uh, phoning it in just a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, I think, I think all that's there and that, that you need it all for Paul to have such an effect and that it isn't just Aaliyah's power today that is having or causing this within him. Because I think, yeah, he he would know her in the Tao. And, and her moat form has left him messages before. <laughs> True. Through time. They're just like, they're familiar. Some Something special happens here. And uh, after Aaliyah, she finishes, she lowers her head, right? And that's the end of the whole kind of sermon there. And Paul, he's deeply disappointed that she didn't say the thing he wanted. This, like, this signal. This moment, he feels like he's really in a nexus point of time, right? Like mm. he felt like if she said the right thing, that would have been the off ramp from this time, these rails that were on. It would have been some catalyst of change. Uh, but to Paul's left, within this present time, uh, a woman cries out, and she's like, "Ah, it's this whale, a wailing rababa." Right, right, right. Uh, I have no idea what a rababa is. <laughs> If you search Wailing Rababa in Google, it'll just bring you to a pirated copy of Doom Messiah. 
<laughs> just like the one that was convenient, <laughs> but it's like okay, definitely good, good Frank combination. Wailing, it makes sense. To That's me. a secret code to get free books. Yeah, <laughs> put it in now, guys. So funny. Uh, but this woman yells up, and Aaliyah, I love it, looks up and goes, uh, "Who summons me?" and this has got to be the best point of the sermon. Yeah. I don't think you get to do this normally at church. No. You just yell shit at a priest. Like, I don't go, but like, <laughs> sounds kind of cool. And like, people just ask her bullshit. And, uh, she's going to mainly talk and riddle and metaphor to these people uh, and returning back to them. But like the first woman asks, is my son dead like they say? And Aaliyah is just like, look, you know, she says you're trying to walk backwards in sand. That's a great idiom. Yeah. Uh, and then Fremen don't try to bring back the dead. And again, so I think all, all these are going to highlight the change that's happened within the Fremen from book one to book two, where mm. we are now, right? This disintegration of Fremen ideal. The next pilgrim asks about a business deal. I love how she says that, and we know her history with hate right now. Uh, what do you mean? Oh, well, what? Go ahead. Expand. Well, that like hate is like, you know, sort of like the dead brought back as yeah, the Gola. Yeah. 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 Well, like, what's you saying with their history? Like, she didn't try to bring, she didn't bring him back, though. True, but like, they've they've done nothing to it, and if anything, she would be put. She'll gladly put him back in the grave. Sure, totally, yeah. totally. But she is attracted to him, which I think is just like really funny. <laughs> yes, you can't deny that. She can't help that. I, I got you. I got you. Uh, I'm gonna say I I get where you're coming from, but I'm gonna move on to the sure, next sure, one. Sure, sure, sure. Continue. Uh, we get a business deal one. Aaliyah calls him a beggar. You look for a golden bowl. You'll get a dagger. Again, no one gets stabbed in the holy district. Uh, <laughs> then my favorite one comes up. This one. This is the real Fremen. And he's like, look, I have to kill a man. Will I succeed? <laughs> and Aaliyah, this one, she doesn't really chastise <laughs> the thing she says. She's like, look, a beginning and the end are the same thing. I've told you that before. And I love that. Is she encouraging him or not? <laughs> if you're going to do it, do it. Don't ask me. I'm not going to be responsible for it. Yeah. A life and a death. It's like, all- to imagine it's Corba. just looks over at Paul and goes, oh. <laughs> so good. And now the woman near Paul kind of mutters like, oh, well, she's in a fierce mood. And it's like, I would not be muttering anything under my breath here. Um, bold move. Bold move. And I, w- I wonder if that's supposed to highlight that uh, she knows Paul's present because of the town. I, I don't think th- I think it's just Paul uh, more comment given it's like that how the people are taking the sermon. Sure. I don't really think because I don't think Aaliyah is even 100 percent sure he's out here. OK. How do you do you think she I have no idea. Him? I honestly don't. Okay. Well, with this, Paul thinks. It, she's met. He, he's chalking Aaliyah's rage, her anger. Mm-hmm. He's like, ah, Aaliyah knows I'm here. And like, I'm feeling, I don't think she does based because like, she also didn't, the face thing didn't, you know, like it's been very one-sided for, yeah, for like what Paul is perceiving doesn't seem to be on this chapter. Uh, It's Paul just having a, it's all about me kind of moment. Doesn't it feel like it? Yeah, sure. He's really the center of the universe today. (laughs) Uh, But he's wondering like, did Aaliyah see something in the vision that has put her in a rage? And I, I, you know what it is also for me is that we've already done this exact question. Where Paul was looking last time when Aaliyah was asking about the Tlaxlu in that meeting, and he goes, oh, she didn't see the right thing because mm-hmm. she's asking these questions. If she had seen the future I was on, she wouldn't ask these questions. But now he's sort of like going this opposite of like, oh, she must know for sure, and that's why she's so mad. Now, 
a man uh, right in front of Paul, he asks the final question. Now, this would be the one that is like, uh, maybe you could hold up as evidence to be like, yeah, Aaliyah does know he's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this guy's like, she's defending Paul. Well, oh, oh, no, hold on. I'll get it right to it. Of like, he asks, like, how long will Paul rule, right? Mm. She says, I will permit you look around that corner by yourself. And I would just think, like, if this man were to look around, the emperor would be right behind him. Yeah. Like, he would look to Paul. You think Aaliyah's looking that, out there, though, would be like, oh. <laughs> well, that's like, I, I, could, I can make that jump. Sure, sure. You, you could totally make a believable leap for me there. But I love it. She also, she snarls. You carry your prejudice in your mouth. It's because my brother rides the warm of chaos that you have roof and water. And that, I think it's like, if you're asking how long he'll rule, you're already uh, saying it's finite. Yeah. You're already trying to like put it in kind of a couch. But also just the idea of like, you have no idea what he's going through for you to like ask that question here and now. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I also just love how she starts. It's just like, Hey, why don't you look around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's where I'm like, I would love yeah, it. Like you if tell, if yeah. they made eye contact, like sure. her ball, like her looking right at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why don't you, you want to take this one? <laughs> Fremen in the back. <laughs> Uh, but Aaliyah had no more of this. With a fierce gesture, clutching a robe, Aaliyah whirled away, strode through the shimmering ribbons of light, and was lost in the darkness beyond. It's Rainbow Field. The acolytes quickly take up the song, but like the song's a little off. Yeah, you can tell they, they weren't <laughs> even, ready. Even they're caught off guard. It's like yeah. this, you know, we booked this for another hour. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna fill this slot. She did not give us a cue. Um, you know, I think they start two different songs. I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> Uh, the whole crowd is restless and uneasy. Paul's kind of giving us her feelings. And this is where I'm like, Paul is in sync with these people tonight. Right? That mm. rest, like everything he just felt, it's like, yeah, they did too, Paul. Yeah, you all did. Everybody's here. You're all equal in a way. And Paul is though, something happened here tonight. It soured the Oracle. I love that. That brings Ooh. me to think of Pet Cemetery. Oh. You always said this, uh, the soil is sour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the ghost guy sure, that would yeah. keep going back. So good. Um, so something made it uh, wrong. It's all just wrong. But we got no time. Or a seer. He tugs at Paul. Time, time to go. Now, we are 99% on the path that Paul shows, he tells us. Like, it couldn't be more clear right mm-hmm. now. It's like he just has this beautiful vista all the way to the Cheney's sure. death at the end. And he just had really hoped he'd have a way out, Mike. Uh, this whole time, I kind of really thought I'd see an off-ramp. But we get to our last paragraph within this chapter. I should know what Aaliyah saw, he thought. I have seen it enough times myself. And she didn't cry out against it. She saw the alternatives, too. So, this is just sort of reinforcing that point where, like, she's... Doing her own path. I Well, I kind of want to, let's keep it within Paul's focus here. Assuming that sure, like, sure. assuming he's misreading Aaliyah, we're like, I feel like we're on that page for yeah, this chapter. I think you're right. But yeah, whatever, uh, he's u- holding that up again, that cop out of like all these alternatives. I, and I like the idea though, even like, even if Aaliyah did see it, him being like, she won't even try to push it. Oh, okay. Maybe he's saying she did. She has all these things, and she di- intentionally wouldn't say the word he wanted to hear, right? Because that's an alternative that, like, Paul wasn't willing to put us on that course. He was hoping his sister would take the blame. Oh, you know, like so Paul's already done enough blame taking so far. 
Oh, he's just unwilling. Yeah. I may, we don't know what, is it a selfish thing or is it a selfless? We don't know. I mean, I guess. Cheney skews the motivation from his perspective yeah. and how he's colored it for us. So you have to look at Aaliyah. Would, would Aaliyah be willing to save Cheney over Paul? Ooh, no, she wouldn't. I don't think she would. Even if she knew that was her brother's like soul desire, yeah, but she she probably sees ahead and knows that Paul's needed more than Cheney is. Okay, just throwing it out there. But I mean, is the broken Paul useful? It's always that. Like I would kind of look at like I don't. You can you kind of lose Paul with Cheney? They're they're together, right? Sure, sure. It's, it's it's like an unwinnable problem. I think, it, and that's obviously why Frank makes it the conflict of the book. Uh, or the cheap conflict, at least. Okay. I mean, I see what you're talking about there. But, like, okay, imagine the most, like, high-tech piece of, like, machinery we have in the world. All right, I got it. An Ixian device. An Ixian device. Like, that's our that's our Paul. It does things nothing else in the world can Paul's do. Paul's been a robot this whole time. <laughs> okay, no. Yeah. But, but, like, it breaks yeah. down. Yes. What do we do? It's just like, oh, well, that sucks. Like, no, that's still the most valuable thing in the world. We can still use it. It can still, it well, still has value. If we want to reflect back, Mike, uh, remember Frank uh, talking about the city folk and farm folk. The city folk, when your Mentat break, when your Mentat <laughs> emperor breaks down, you go to the Mentat store and it's open on Monday and you come back in the country. You fix your emperor. <laughs> I like it. I, I think if, if I, we can bring Duncan I, Idaho I from I'll, the dead, we can fix Paul Atreides. I, I think Aaliyah's a country girl. Like, yeah, I think she'd fix the emperor. All right. Now that's a confusing uh, tangent to go on. But nonetheless, Aaliyah looking down. I think I'm, I'm kind of on board with her knowing Paul was there now. Yeah. Well, I've come full circle to be like, and then she refused to give him that that out. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, he wants, he just wanted someone else to do it. He want, mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to have to fix it all. You got to, Paul. You got to. I mean, like, you started it. You got to finish it. <laughs> and then he'd be like, but I did it. It's like, it's like, hey, yeah, I understand you didn't get everything you wanted. I didn't have a choice either, Paul. Yeah, yeah, but you're the adult. Yeah. I'm 15. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Ultimately, that is what it comes down to. Like, make your own damn decisions. Uh, I think that's the perfect place to hang out of there. <laughs> I love it. Let's do it. Let's go pay some bills, Mike. Hell yeah. Let's do some more adult stuff. <laughs> That was an awesome chapter. It was, it was like I mean, we had a lot more to talk about than I thought we would actually. I, I especially like the epigraph with like was it the the God Book or the God Buck? The God Book, <laughs> B U K. Well, you know where you can find the God Book? Oh, you got you know, a good provider? You can find it on Audible. Ah, oh, that's so convenient. I can't find it at any library <laughs> right now. They're offering our listeners a free 30 day trial when they visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. What are they going to pick up with that trial? Well, when they sign up, they'll get a credit they can use to pick from one of thousands of titles, like Dune. Of course. Two credits if they sign up with their Amazon Prime account. So you could get Dune Messiah? Dune and Dune Messiah. And then from then on, they'll get an additional credit every month to pick up the rest of the Dune series if they want. Yeah, four months, you're done. <laughs> there, there you go. Wait, aren't there six? Well, you get two. Oh, yeah, five. No, nope, we have my math still off. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't, don't uh, <laughs> suss that one out. Don't draw that one out. But regardless, what are you listening to right now, Derek? Uh, well, I mean, 
you know, they, they include podcasts in there. And like every now and then we get to the end of my library and I'm like, oh crap, I got I to gotta get something new before it, but I don't get a credit. I, what am I going to do when this podcast comes out this week? <laughs> Amazon Originals. Well, some Am- not even an Amazon Original. I just found a great podcast I got to recommend to you because it's going to overlap on a few things we're oh. super interested in. But you can find it on your Audible people and if you search otherwise. But I just learned about this one this weekend, Mike, and uh, you've gone through your presidential uh, podcast, right? Where it's going yeah, through yeah, each yeah. president With of their the election. Yes. Uh, this one is called Nixon at War, and it also Ooh. is just so tied into the time when Frank is writing uh, Dune Messiah. This comes mm-hmm. out in '69. I thought we're going to be at the peak of uh, Nixonism, sure, going into the end of the '60s here. And Nixon at War is the investigation by uh, let me get this guy's uh, Kurt Anderson. That's his name. He's wicked funny. I heard an interview with him uh, with Pre Barrara recently that put me onto this. And it's just an account of like, he was wondering within Nixon, everyone gets caught up in Watergate. And like, that's his big downfall. But he's like, I want to dig back deeper. And he ultimately is like, what led to that? And he ends up drawing a line, this direct line from Nixon and how he dealt with Vietnam into Watergate and why the burglaries happened and how this oh. paranoia built with them and that Nixon's handling of the war, which is sort of lost in his general telling of his legacy, is like the most important and crucial element to this whole line of corruption that has seeded through. So he uh, did a lot of work with the Nixon Library, pulls a lot of audio clips to give you just from the horse's mouth of everyone involved within these events. Um, and like what happened behind the scenes because thankfully Nixon uh, recorded a lot of stuff. I was gonna say like he was what he was the first guy to actually like really do that. He put them fucking everywhere in the yeah. White House. It's <laughs> so good. So this is called Nixon at War by Kurt Anderson. I really recommend it, especially if you just if you love history, you want to get a little more. And Nixon is so intriguing. Uh, that's Frank Herbert's favorite president because he taught everyone not <laughs> to trust, trust anyone. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> I deliberately did this. I got your back. So it just it just came onto my uh, radar this week, and I'm going to be diving into it. I just wanted to, I knew you would it'd probably follow your house. That sounds like something I really enjoy. And I think a lot of other people that listen to this have that little, that history bug in them. Yeah, right? Well, hey, Derek. Yeah. 30 Days of Audible are up. What if you don't like it? Ah, this happens. This happens. They're going to disguise somebody as, you know, whatever group you maybe masquerade as. Like, it was a Mainer that just showed up at my door. His cheeks were really weird. And then he just tells me, grabbed my arm, he pulled me close, and he goes, you have 30 days to cancel. And then he just left. He disappeared into the crowd, Mike. Gone forever. So it lets you know. Uh, you get a little heads up. Cancel your account before you get charged. That's fantastic. Most people get a courtesy email nowadays. It's a shame. It's a shame. shame. (laughs) I really think you guys would enjoy the intrigue in my way. (laughs) Everyone wants a puffy cheek chipmunk to go ahead and knock on their door. (laughs) But hey, if you do cancel, you still get to keep all your library. All the Amazon originals, anything you spent those credits on, those are yours for life. And we know you understand the value of a good book. You read Dune. We're going to help you get a free audiobook when you visit audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. So guys, get out there, get a book, and why don't you hit us up with a recommendation with whatever you picked up with your free trial from audibletrial.com slash spiceworldpod. Love it. All right. All right, Mike, we're Mm. back. You ready for a little deep dive? Always. We got a good classic. My favorite part. Well, you know where we're going today? No, no idea. Well, San Francisco? Sir. <laughs> well, better. Better. You can go home again.
Oh. We're going home, Mike. We're going right to Seattle with Frank today. Oh. But as always, let's introduce the work here. We are reading The Maker of Dune, Insights of a Master of Science Fiction, Frank Herbert, edited by Tim O'Reilly. Classic. Excellent. Now, this is a called You Can Go Home Again, and it was originally published in the Sunday section of the San Francisco Examiner. Now, uh, a couple of them I read to you before, uh, 2068 AD, and um, uh, did we do, no, we didn't do Flying Saucers yet. Flying Saucers are going to come up later. Oh. Uh, those are also ones that he published. So the 2680, the one where he speculated on San Francisco, sure. that was in the San Francisco Examiner the, when he published it. Oh, so this is okay. kind of cool, and that's where they're reprinted in here with permission. Okay, cool, cool. So this one is another one from the Examiner. So you can imagine just waking up, Mike. It's early morning. It's Sunday. You know, mm-hmm. you're in San Francisco. You got a great view of the bay, and you break on the paper, and you go, "Oh, there's my Frank." Uh, I lo- <laughs> love these the Frank takeaway, the Herbert column, the Herbert uh, column. You can go home again. Last night, I looked out my living room windows at the 600 foot tower of Seattle Space Needle, and called myself a damn fool. <laughs> I love Frank. So I much. love Frank. <laughs> You're like best Sunday ever. <laughs> it was a beautiful, clear, and sparkling night. The lights of the Bur- uh, Bremerton Ferry drew a mirrored pattern on the water as it headed for its glistening new pier on our Elliott Bay waterfront. We get it, Frank. You're from Seattle. <laughs> yeah. Off to the right, maybe five miles from me as the crow flies, the Alki Point winked and turned, as green and shining as a glass of creme de menthe. You should know that he's probably drinking right now. Yeah, probably. First thing in the morning. It's going to become apparent. Oh, really? (laughs) Damn fool, I said. (laughs) I can see Mount Rainier's hump of ice cream behind the Space Needle. And out out to the west, there lay the whole line of the Olympic Mountains frosted with moonlit snow. It was so beautiful, it made you want to shut up and just get drunk. From from nothing more than looking. (laughs) Was it that? I'm like, yeah, Frank. Was there a thought that thought there? Or was that embellished by you? It was a, little, it was a comma. <laughs> okay. I, I did a dramatic comma. Sure, but... sure. Now, I'm sorry. Now, I'm supposed to help spoil that? Quote, tell California tourists about the attractions to the Northwest, they said. And I, like a fool, agreed. Do you really think I want you coming up here? Filling this relatively clean air with your exhaust fumes? Leaving your beer cans and garbage on our beaches? Doing all things and and, uh, we do in mass to destroy the earth which supports us? What I do wish is that you could have shared, really shared that moment of admiration for this lovely corner of this universe. This, uh, that moment when I looked out our windows. So Frank, he just wants you to stand beside him, Mike, in the kitchen. He wants everyone jammed into his kitchen just to look out the window. <laughs> Drinking creme de menthe. <laughs> yeah. Just hitting it back in the morning. <laughs> and there are other things I wish you could share. A few weeks ago, my wife and I went up to Vancouver Island. We drove west along the island's southern tip to River Jordan, Port Renfu, then north along the Gordon River to Cowichan. Ooh, Cowichan? Cowichan? Sounds good to me. Well, you know, uh, we went over the Willamette, damn it. Uh, <laughs> I can do Rainier fine, but there are going to be a number of these terms. There. He's like, he's not from the Northwest. Tell you what. <laughs> he doesn't know. Can't get there from here. Now, Mike, this next one. To Duncan and back to Victoria, down to the west side of Senate Inlet. We got a Duncan. Oh. Just curious. Now. 
The gravel road along the island's southern tip alternately dips down to the beaches of the Strait of, of Juan de Fuca, then climbs to give you magnificent vistas out into the Pacific. This is the important part. On that first leg of the circle, we drove 24 miles, an hour and a half, without seeing another car or another person. On the Gordon River leg, we passed two cars containing fishermen. How'd you know? How'd you know? You didn't yeah, stop like, them. Was a truck full of fish? <laughs> Between Duncan and the West Side Highway, we passed 30 cars. Locals, sightseers, tourists. There was one California license. See, Frank, they're getting through without they even advertising. On the main north-south highway, there was as much traffic as you'd normally encounter along the 101 between Mill Valley and Santa Rosa on a Sunday afternoon. Very few of these cars on the main highway, and none on the back roads, were dashing along, intent on getting from here to there. The dominant traffic mood was that it is a beautiful day in a beautiful countryside. Oh, Yeah. It took us considerably longer to make our round-the-tip trip than just driving over the connecting roads because we stopped frequently to get out and walk to something that attracted us. A view spot, a creek, a patch of driftwood on the beach. An antique shop. Why not? A little, uh, world's largest bench. (laughs) (laughs) Through it all, we never once got the feeling we were being crowded, either by people or their artifacts or their rich garbage. How long has it been since you drove 24 miles without seeing another car or another person? How long has it been since you were lured into stopping your road locomotive and getting out for a walk in real wilderness? Love it. Your road locomotive. (laughs) It may give you an insight into what it means to live here if I tell you that what we regularly carry in the trunk of our car and what we have at hand ready to toss in the back of our car. Like, you want to take a guess of what Frank has in his car? I bet he's got a bug out bag. He's got a tent. Yeah! Yeah. All right! (laughs) Good. So the the tent is uh, separate, but you'll see he makes pretty good sense. He's got a frame kit. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Standard equipment in the trunk. Fishing tackle for two. Hell yeah. A nested pan dish set. Okay. A clam shovel and bucket. Clam shovel? You're son of the, yeah, right? That's a, <laughs> oh, oh. Okay, Frank. You, you got Frank, Frank knows a fisherman when he sees one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Touche. Touche. No, but he spent they're, a lot of time on the beaches. The no, dunes. no. You'll, yeah, you'll see. Uh, you're not done with the clam sure, shovel sure. just yet. Uh, a small hatchet and cooking grill. Hiking boots and a complete change of rough outdoor clothing. Which I'm like, you can have soft outdoor clothing, Frank. Like, <laughs> yeah. that sounds intentional. Well, no, I mean, like, intentionally can, Fremen is all I'm saying. You can always strip down layers. You can't add layers if you don't have them. <laughs> okay, okay. Frank, Frank, Frank knows. Frank yeah. knows. Now, at home in one package, all set to toss into the car are sleeping bags and a light shelter. Now, Mike, yeah, you don't take the tent unless you have to. Frem, sure. Frem kit rules. You know, you don't bring the whole thing. Sure. You always bring what you need for the trip. But I love it. Yeah, always has that ready to go. What I'm saying is that you live with the countryside here. If you're a native, as I am, you know where and when to find the best edible mushrooms. I'm like, oh, mm, you know, I don't, as a native manor, yeah, I'm right. not sure that's something that I really know all that well. Yeah. I know you can. Yeah, I know you can. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, I don't know if they're doing tripping shrooms as like a huge thing just yet, 
Maybe it culturally comes out of that period to be Maybe. like, hey, guys, stop eating mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we just don't go pick mushrooms. <laughs> but I love that. Yeah, that he, he definitely is more of an outdoorsy guy. Sure, like, sure. He, it he seems seemed like, like he was really raised on that. Well, and his military, you know, he did the time yeah, in the Navy. Sure. Like, boot camps got to help What do they you. call it? Uh, oh, what's the training called? Is it SARS, SATS? Um, SARS it's your, is it's, a disease. No, I, I know that. Yes. But, like, no, it might be. It's like your... Uh, it's like your survival training mm-hmm. where they basically your final test is they throw you out for a week and they send people to find you. And if they find you, you fail. Oh, okay. That's fun. Yeah. That's a fun twist. Uh, you went, it was, there's a wilderness school in Maine. It's called Chowanke. Okay. Uh, that if you want to go there, you go there during your, I think it's your junior year, or your sophomore year. You spend like a semester with them. Right. And it's this cool program. A lot of outdoor stuff. You, uh, you kill your own meat, you grow your own food there. You know what the final test is for that school? What is it? You spend a week out in the woods by yourself. Hey, <laughs> you just go. You just go camp by yourself and make sure you're fine. Uh, and then you come back. And I always thought that was a, such an early kind of adventure, uh, but a great thing. <clears throat> you also, you know, the best oyster, geoduck and clam beaches. <laughs> okay. Now I can guide you to one clam beach. I don't think I can take you anywhere else to find the other. Which things. one? Uh, if we go to uh, uh, Hartswell. Oh, we can go to Old Orchard as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just mean actual climate spots. Like, if you oh, want one that's, sure, like, sure, sure. yours, a special spot, like, if we can go. Yours, yeah. And, uh, you know, source of good spring water and campsites. Hell, yeah. Just a few weeks ago, I dug butter clams on a beach where my father took me clamming when I was seven years old. Oh. Yeah. yeah see, totally raised up. Yeah, it. that's what I wanted yeah. to, like, hit for. I'm like, yeah, exactly. When we first returned to Seattle from the Bay Area, we charted a small boat, what we used to call a cabin cruiser, and took off for two lazy weeks on Punget Sound. The charter cost was $250, and we absorbed a million dollars in human renewal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Frank. (laughs) Uh, How long did they have that boat for? Two weeks. For a... Jesus. I mean, it's 19, yeah. like, good, probably like 50-something when sure, we're doing this. Sure. Yeah, no, that, if anything, that's too much. Yeah. You could have bought the boat for that price. <laughs> no. no, yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. We picked up the boat at Shilshul Bay Marina, Seattle, and headed north in water, which I have navigated in small boats since I was a child. We spent our first night on the boat at Rosh Harbor in the U.S. San Juans and our second night at Pender Harbor in the Canadian San Juans. (laughs) (laughs) Got to hit them both. Yeah, which I'm like, I don't really, must be somewhere close to the uh, coast as you're heading up there from uh, Washington. By the third day, we were at Nelson Island on the British Columbia Sunshine Coast. A deep fjord channel uh, heads east there towards Princess Louisa Inlet. Fjord is a word that makes me stop when I read fjord. it. I go fjord. <laughs> okay. Would you not call it a fjord? I think it's pronounced fjord. Don't they call it a fjord? I think it's a silent J. Fjord. Bitch. Oh. Fjord. Try me one more time. It's a, uh, yeah, I guess it at least makes a F-E, like a fee. All right. And then, yeah, the O-R-D, uh, the other one makes like uh has the, the pronunciation guide. All right. Uh goes like if you put like a Y O R D. Sure. Where'd we stop here? Oh, Fjord, because it made me fucking <laughs> <laughs> Who puts a J in the middle of a word? The Icelandic. <laughs> a deep fjord channel heads east towards uh Princess Louisa Inlet. 
The channel appears to run directly into mountains so steep and tall, they have to be seen to believed. Oh. All right, all right. And again, I think Frank just wants to keep inviting those places to look at stuff with him. You got <laughs> to be right where I am. That's the only way it hits. That evening, a half hour after the high tide... I didn't go into my Frank voice. That evening, a half hour after the high tide had begun running out, I stood on a beach at Nelson Island in one spot without moving my feet and filled a small box with fresh oysters, selecting only the smaller, tastier ones. While doing this, our youngest son... <gasps> it's Bruce. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Brian's the oldest. Damn our, our youngest son, Bruce, remained on the boat, having the time of his life catching red snappers and watching the float line to Did, our crab pot. Was Brian not invited on this trip? So it's weird that he's not mentioned. <laughs> Orphan room? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Brian, though, not having the time of his life catching snappers. <laughs> not like Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like Bruce is just simple, a simple boy. <laughs> right there and then, I knew I had come home, and I knew why. Last week, we came home late one night from hearing Leonetta Price. Leotine Price? You know who Leotine. that is? Um, oh, no, I, we just played a little bit of a music so yeah, we could yeah. hear it. I didn't know if you knew of her at no, all. No, I don't. Like, I, Just from what you told me. Yeah. Uh, Leotine Price. Uh, so this is a opera singer. And she was in concert at the Seattle Opera House and made the few preparations required for a hiking trip the next day in the snow country near North Bend. We have a special affection for the North Bend area and the Cascades because we spent our honeymoon there, isolated in a Forest Service fire watch lookout. That's where him and Bev spent their honeymoon. <laughs> now, I believe uh, they got married. He went to the Navy. I think he, they had to have their honeymoon after he came back. Ah. Because he was only gone for like a little bit. Uh, it was like a short little window because this kid was also like born after he, right after he came back, like right. two months after he came back. It would have had to have been conceived before sure. he left, ideally. Um, it was foggy the next morning and we had to creep out of the city in fairly heavy traffic, mostly headed for ski areas. When we reached our parkside destination, adjoining a national forest, the weather had turned to mixed rain and snow. We were dressed for it and made a made the short trail loop we had planned. It was cold. Snow fell from branches and great wet blobs. But the countryside held, and that lovely sense of enduring beauty and strength. Of course, we didn't cook our dinner over an open fire. We stopped at a roadside inn. Where- <laughs> Yeah, that'd be Frank. I was about to say, like, I felt like I want to spend a weekend with you, Frank. But you lost me. You lost me. Where we knew they had a big fireplace and served magnificent fish trout poached in wine. Jesus Christ. You're doing the trail loop. You're not stopping for poached fish and wine. He's on his honeymoon, Mike. Okay, that's fair. Come that's on. fair. I thought he was talking about his current trip with his son. This is last week. Uh, oh, wait. You know what? Actually, uh, am I confusing two different things? Let me flip back to the... Uh, where was that honeymoon line, right? I don't know, because then there was this. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I was mixed up. They have a, they, a, a special affection for, do you know Bend, Oregon? No. So it, oh, one of the, just the big cities that you always go to. It's a great area. And so we say in North Bend, that area of it, that's where they spent their honeymoon. So I'm sorry. We're not, we're not actually on the honeymoon, but we're, <laughs> we're back out there. Okay. But anyway, Mike, fuck it. We're going to the end, all right? We're getting some, we're getting some trout. It's poached in wine. <laughs> sure. Fuck it. Why not? This continues. 
There's a marvelous inner relaxation that can be achieved by first getting fairly tired in wild surroundings, then stepping into the warmly cushioned environment of an inn so good it has been in the same place under the same management for 25 years. Yeah, yeah, I can't fault you. That really goes against the uh, ultimate woodsman you were kind of building up sure, in the beginning. Sure. But now we're like, look, just go in the woods and then come back. And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. so much better. Um, but I mean, Mike, every time we stop at a McDonald's after our big hiking adventures and it's like a godsend. It's like, Can you imagine if we, <laughs> if we actually went to a restaurant, if we could somehow clean up sure. and then go into a public place. That's the place. big thing. It's like you're going to want to clean up first. Yeah, filthy. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine what he looked like. This man seems like a caveman. Uh, but I just slams a pile of cash uh, on the counter. It's not Most even cash. It's like dead fish. Like I bet he gives him fish. <laughs> I brought a bucket of clams. Can I get one wine? Look at this kid. I barter. <laughs> He's insane. Uh, but this continues. Uh, th- uh, this one at Cedar Falls. There's another, Mary's, at Point Angeles, waiting for you to come down from Hurricane Ridge in the Olympics. Another, Pearls, sits at the per- uh, at the purdy end of... Mm, Purdy. Did he write that? <laughs> but it's capital P. P U R D Y, right? Okay. Uh, sits at the Purdy end of a long sand spit near Gig Harbor below Seattle. But I can't help but read the mighty Purdy end of the pier down there. Like, is that is that like a town or something? Uh, so put in Purdy end of Gig Harbor. How do you spell Purdy? P U R D Y. Gig Harbor, Purdy location. Uh, whoop, oh, Purdy location, that's it. It's real. Purdy is some subset of Gig Harbor. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at the map right here. The, it, it aligns, it aligns. It's not just All being right. fancy. There's a lot of proper nouns that, hey, if you're out there, you can find these places, maybe. <laughs> it would have to be another, like, 100 years at this point that the place has been there, but it's possible. So that's our purdy end of Gig Harbor below Seattle, all ready to welcome you with local clam chowder and homemade wild blackberry pie on your return from a day along Hood Canal. This northwest corner of our nation has its own special flavor, a thing built out of the relentless force of water, Punjit Sound, the Pacific Ocean, countless rivers and lakes, and a lush pilling of life upon life. That beautifully interlocking, interdependent circle which we call ecology. Mm. We stand in the full view of mountains so young they still can fill you with awe. I was driving back to my office one day last week and was stopped by a view. I pulled over to the side of a city street here in Seattle, got out, and looked. It had been raining. Yes, it rains quite a bit here. And (laughs) And the air had that clear quality. It was early afternoon, and by just turning around in that one hilltop spot at the north end of Seattle, I could see the Cascades, the Olympics, Mount Rainier, and poking its tip above the houses of the north, Mount Baker. No more than two hours driving could have put me at any of these places. But my driving, multiplied by thousands like me all around, soils this beauty. I suddenly felt myself as an intruder. What a fool. <laughs> a damn fool. We're still eating the salmon, a 40-pounder, 
I caught last fall off last off La Push. Forty pound salmon, Jesus Christ, Frank. Yeah, well done. Well, we had it canned at a sports cannery at Colum <laughs> Colombe. This is just like okay, okay, Frank. You're writing an article, bud. <laughs> Uh, but he goes, we're going to dig Geodude on a minu- on a minus tide next week. Good friends who live nearby will spend next week skiing in the Cascades. Another couple we've known for years will be going on a weekend house party at Port Townsend, a quaint mill town with a Victorian atmosphere uh, up on the Olympic Peninsula. A group of friends, students and staff from the University of Washington We'll spend next week at a wilderness cabin on the Duckabash River in the Olympics. We were invited to spend the weekend at Irish Cabin, a retreat type near the Snoqualmie Forest. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) I think we will go to Irish Cabin. The occasion is a weekend of brain jamming. With what about, does that even mean? With about uh, 40 other concerned citizens, and that's in quotes, uh, over the problem of maintaining this fragile and beautiful countryside in which we live. What I'm saying is this. If you decide to visit the region soon, do it with love. Ah. And that is You Can Go Home Again by Frank Herbert, first published in the San Francisco Examiner. That's really awesome. It's a fun one. And I love the full thing coming full circle of just like, I can't stop you. No, Even me going to these places of like, I contribute. I do this pollution. Sure. I ruin it too. Just do it with love. Be care. It's one of the things where like living on the coast and being raised on the coast, I think you and I can definitely like relate to a lot of the things he's saying. We're just like, sometimes you just like to take a drive along. Yeah, I mean, that's all we used to do during high school. Yeah. Uh, we used to go down to Popham Beach. It's like a 30-minute drive from here, and we'd do it like every two days. And then, I mean, I, I my brother did clamming. I never did clamming. Skip that one mm-hmm. for me. You ever do any clamming? No, I didn't really do clamming. Ooh, harsh stuff. <laughs> you put mud on your back. Yeah. It's easier than sunscreen. <laughs> just like you just, Faster. You just coat yourself with the fucking mud. With, uh, with the, you know, leaving things the way they are and, like, you know, trying to better the environment, I totally feel that. And we've had a couple uh, hiking spots recently in Maine that have just disallowed campers just because they've been destroyed so much. There's a lot just with the, so many new people doing the activity uh, because of the events of the last year. Yeah, it's over. It's too much people going up in the woods. It's the same problem, even with the best intentions. Uh, I think we would still have a detrimental effect. Like, mm-hmm. if everyone in America took up hiking and we all went to the same trail, oh my God. you'd fucking ruin it. There's nothing you could do to, like, it would just be ruined mm-hmm. because you, you can't. There is a cap of it, which is sort of like the uh, irony of... Uh, any wilderness preservation of like you need people to go and see it and experience it, but then you also don't need too many people to go and experience right. it because it's like a few at a time, few at a time, and like it's just humanity doesn't it's work. Like, there's, too diminish- ma- there's too many of us at this point. I was like, say it's not even diminishing returns; it's just destructive. Well, you know how he got the a million dollars of renewal. I I think the, the insight that somebody can have of that experience might be worth it sometimes. Okay, yeah. You know, just like having your mind, the first time you realize, uh, like, that effect you can have on an environment. Sure. That can be huge. You know, the dividends that it could pay might be, you that you might be the one who solves the climate crisis because of that experience, you know? You never know. That's true. Time is crazy. No one else is crazy, Derek. <laughs> I can think of a few things. <laughs> Edric's etymology on onomatology. Excellent transition, Mike. I don't Thank know how you. we're going to get out of that spiral. <laughs> Derek. You know this game. You love mm. this game. 
familiar with it. Played each, it once or twice. <laughs> each week, I'm going to pick a name from the Dooniverse, dive into its meaning and origins. Yes. Going to give you the meaning and see if you can guess who it is. All right. Now, this is kind of a short one. I'm uh, honestly, I'm stretching for some names here. Some, I just like, some names I want to use, but I just can't find anything good on them. Um, I tried to find Lishna. I had zero luck on Lishna. Lishna was a total crapshoot. Okay. Now, Mike, you should always, you get, you get one fluke where you can just you can just fuck with the game sure. that, that can be the one oh but this one's the joke game oh. you just can't do it more than once but you, you get <laughs> one where you can just bullshit it you, th- you didn't think Omarte was the kind of the bs one no oh. no no Omarte fits fan favorite fan no favorite. you'd have to go you'd have to go totally off the rails but so this is a short one so i did a first and last name that's gonna be a big hint for you okay oh all right yeah all right and well, so they got it yeah very few characters get both so the meaning to sell and cows Okay. Okay. And those origins being Latvian and Old English. Okay. Old English for cow. I, I feel like I'm on that one. <laughs> oh, okay. That's got to be something I can get to, right? Because it's like, I think like a heifer. Uh, what's another word? A sow? Uh, do we, I, I, and I feel like you would flip those two. So I feel like the cow is the first name. And then to sell is the last name. You said Latvian? Latvian. <sighs> Latvian for to sell. To, okay, let's at least confirm I know where Latvia is. Is it, that's one of the Baltics, like Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know where Latvia is. Oh, I don't know how Russians fucking sell stuff. <laughs> That'd be who I'd lean to. <laughs> that kind of uh, ruskiness. Uh, but a double namer. I, I don't know where to go. It's You've already done like Margot and stuff. I want sow, cow, how. Don't try rhyming. Sow. That's not how you're going to do it. What if I What if I pulled it out <laughs> right there? No, yeah, I don't think I know, like, another good old English word for cow. And I think I've, like, locked myself onto a tangent. Can you give me any kind of clue? I, I feel like I gave you a fair No, but, 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 like, no, I'm sinking and I'm drowning. Sure, sure, sure. We never actually really get to meet this character. Ooh, interesting. Like, they're like, uh, just jump, jump it straight up. Are they, are they mentioned? The character name is oh, mentioned, yeah. but we never meet them. Exactly. Oh, okay. That's a pretty good clue. I like that still. I'm not yeah. really sure what you mean. Is it in the first book? Sure. That's the limit. That's the limit. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. You can cut me off there, but it's in the first book. Sure. It's in Doom. Yeah. Uh, oh, what's the character? <laughs> I'm really curious. I want to, like, for the sake of the audio, we're going to have to, like, come yeah, through, but sure. I, I want to, like, start drafting this out. I'm like, I feel like I can get there. Who could that fucking be? That he had two named? Is it Jesus Christ? Did we mention Jesus? We never mentioned Jesus. Oh, oh, wait. Did we do Butler yet? We have not done Butler could yet. It, uh, could you lock me in for John Butler? I'll lock in for John Butler if you want. Yeah, I, I mean, fuck that it. That be your final answer, though. That is going to be my final okay. I mean, I really don't know what else to reach with. That's like sure. a, a two-person name. Someone that I didn't meet. <laughs> it meets all the parameters. Yeah, sure. I don't think it's the answer, but it does meet the goals you gave you me. got it. There's a really like uh, interesting series of events I had to jump through. Hoops. So, uh, the Latinian verb for to sell is pardot. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we didn't meet. We met his ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Not even. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, Leah was just having a trip in the desert. His heat stroke. Hey, but Frank intentionally means it's in his head. It is, yeah. Pardot is in his brain mm-hmm. somewhere. This is all physically manifest. Like, it's not magic, Mike. Yeah. Magic's crazy. So it's the Latin verb to sell, and that's all I really got for that. Cool. That's like, so the then, language. So Kynes is a cow? 
No. Well, yes and no. Okay. But kine or uh, K-Y-N-E or K-I-N-E, it's an archaic English word that means cows. But as with many British surnames, which were based on the career of the holder, which we've talked about uh, in several of our names, some cowherds, which are the uh, bovine equivalent of shepherds, came to have the surname kine. Okay, right on. So you could, uh, the person that is a shepherd and also sells. Um, I think about Pardot sort of like selling the Fremen on like the changes to Arrakis. Mm -hmm. Like what can we become? I don't think that's where Frank got it, but I like the I like to imagine. If yeah, if you I always had like to, to draw make something parallel. again, yeah, 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 exactly to fit it in, sure. But I do like the shepherd idea, where like both Pardot and uh, Liet sort of became like integral parts of the Fremen, mm -hmm. and started like I mean Pardot taught the youth. Oh, Mike, why buy the milk when you can get the cow? Because <laughs> you love the cow. <laughs> yeah, they did love the cow. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's short and sweet. That's what I yeah. got for Pardot. Oh man. Cons. Pardot Collins never would never would have gotten there. I can't believe that. Great clues. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just blown away by the <laughs> the guessing game of that. <laughs> he meant that's half the fun. Yeah, ah, uh, it's because that ghost form. I can't yeah. remember meeting him, but he never was there. <laughs> I don't think I will forget that very soon. I definitely, I won't. I might not remember Collins. I think Pardot's really gonna stick with me. The the Latvian to sell is such a weird word to know. Mm -hmm. I'm just, just like, I hope that comes up in bar trivia for somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I got this. I can't conjugate it, but pardon. All right. Uh, we got distrain's coming in, right? Ooh, let me uh, take a look on there. Bruno, come on in. Yeah, let me get the door for you, bud. <laughs> get a little ladder. Little, little kitty seat. He doesn't need it. He can stand there. Coming in. Here's an ashtray, though. <laughs> coming in. Uh, oh, our good friend Laurel. Ah. Chiming in here. It's been so long, Laurel. It's been so long. Uh, as a San Francisco, a lot of people from San Francisco area. It's it's a popular spot. Yeah, they've got. Hey, she's got a lot of thoughts on Frank's San Francisco of the future, future, well, future. Are these going to clash with our previous San Francisco uh, <laughs> addendum? No, I don't think so. Uh, she just wanted to chime in regarding the idea of filling in the same San Francisco Bay and that it's not as crazy as it sounds. <gasps> what? I know. The San Francisco Bay is much smaller than it was pre-gold rush. Whole mountains in central California were literally sandblasted away to find gold. Mm -hmm. The silt from this actually washed down the delta, making the depths more shallow than they actually were. Ooh. Yeah. Much of San Francisco and other cities on the water were built on sunken ships and other rubbish and landfill extending into the bay. Oh, so we already did it. That's been there, done cool. that. Well, just like over time, we, Frank wanted to scale it up. But <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, there's already a bunch of flotsam down there. And just like, I like this. I was a silt from the upriver. Never would have thought that trans uh, would have such an effect. Yeah. Of, like, yeah. The geography of it. like, yeah, I guess it does have to go somewhere. <laughs> and <laughs> right. just, yeah. So it's like the shape of it's not much different, but that depth is lost dramatically. Yeah. That's crazy. Is and, there anything else in there? Yeah, well, uh, there's actually, there were a few proposed plans to fill in the bay even further, just as Frank envisions in his far-flung 2068 future. Um, there's one that she actually refers to known as the uh, Reber Plan, which was scrapped in the early 1960s. Okay. I'm going to, so we have a, a Wikipedia link here. I'm going to open it sure. here. Uh, oh, so it was advocated by an actor, theatrical producer, and a school teacher, hey. John Reber. 
Yeah, fill in parts of the bay. It's got a little map here showing us like, uh, so it doesn't look like it's the full bay, but it is considerable. It was going to like straighten out the it's entire uh, coastline there mm-hmm. and just turn it all into like maximized dock space. That is very gnarly. Is it, uh, do they tell us why they didn't do it? Ooh, the San Francisco Chronicle endorsed the plan's concept of a causeway to replace or supplement the San Francisco Bay Bridge. Frank wanted to build a second oh. one. Uh, that's kind of cool. They're just going to make a land. <laughs> we can make a road, guys. This is uh, this is going to be straight from Wikipedia here. But uh, in 1953, the Army Corps engineers recommended a more detailed study of the plan and eventually constructed a hydraulic model of the Bay Area to test it. Okay. You know, test it out in theory, see if it works. The barriers, which were the plan's essential element uh, for success, failed to survive the critical study. So that's why it didn't pass. The oh. scrapping of the river plan in the early 1960s was one sign, perhaps, of the end of an era of grandiose civil works aimed at total reconstructing of a region's natural environment and the birth of, an, and the birth of the environmental era. I mean, the EPAs would have been founded, I think, somewhere in like right in 70, 72. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't change it. Might as well try to save it. Another one of those things that Nixon gets credit for that uh, if you listen to Nixon at war, that's going to point some fingers that would be like, uh, Nixon, that's such a good guy. Oh, my gosh. Well, well yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, Laurel. thank you, Laura. We really appreciate that. That's awesome. That page will be tabbed for me to come back to later. More Reaver plan. <laughs> More Reaver plan. All right. Other than that, then, Mike, I think that kind of does it for the week. Well, uh, does anyone have any questions for us? Do you guys perhaps know a wine we could afford? Let us know. We're at Spice World Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And you can always send a distrans at SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. And, of course, there's our website at SpiceWorldPod.com. And if you're looking for a different way to support the show, come join us over at our little sketch at Patreon.com slash SpiceWorldPod. It's where you can find some of our exclusive Between Two Dunes episodes like Ampoliros, Ladies of House Carino, and Trick to Gamont, as well as several more. Oh, three. Three gems. Three gems. Absolute gems. <laughs> you know uh, you know what I really want to hear, though? Oh, of course. Of course. Our teaser for next week. But what, what do you, where, are you, where are we going? What do you think you're going to get? Uh, I still want to know where we're going with Korba. It might be a little later in the book, though. Yeah. Let's, let's bump the brakes on Korba. All right. All right. I think we need to figure out where Paul's going, right? Sure. I mean, we're leaving him with this Rajaz. Yeah, I guess we're not just going to... Razier. Razier. We're not just going to leave him in the Thane, so he's got to get back. I mean... We haven't, he hasn't gone. Yeah. We're like, back where? We're not going back to the keep. No. But we just met the guide. Oh, we haven't gone. Where's the guide taking us? Where will he guide us? Yeah, we've only, we've just started. Well, tell me, Derek, tell me. All right. Starts with Paul. What other talents have you, Bajaz? Paul asked. Ah, I know when we should leave, Bajaz said. It's a talent few men have. There's a time for endings, and that's a good beginning. Let us begin to go, Usol. <laughs> Ooh. Paul examined his vision memory. No dwarf. But the little man's words fitted the occasion. Interesting. So, are we on the rails, Mike? Yeah, what's going on? All of a sudden, that vision isn't so reliable. Do you remember Bajaz the dwarf? No. It's actually when Sightail went to meet Farouk, our favorite sweeper of all time. So, oh, if you want to rewind time with me a little bit, <laughs> Farouk's alive. Let's just revel in that for a second. What, what a time! To be what, alive. A, what a time! 
<laughs> this is uh, from Sidetail's perspective. He's looking at the houses, remember? Okay. We, we had that graffiti on the wall. Yeah, yeah, saying yeah, this, yeah. My husband has like a you know, STD. Uh, and then he looks over and Otham is on this block. And he's like, hmm, because Farouk is on is a little on edge. And Sidetail goes, was it the new neighbor who bothered the old man? Sidetail wondered. The adjoining house he knew had been assigned to Otham. Once a member of Moadib's dreaded Fadaikin Death Commandos, and Bajaz, the catalyst dwarf, waited with Otham. Oh. So this was, uh, I remember when this chapter came up, I got dancing, I'm like, a catalyst dwarf. What does that even mean? What is that? Interesting. Now I can enter you, Bajaz, the dwarf. That's exciting. This is like, our ultimate wild card. He's so random and weird and fun. I think he's great. The way he talks, you know, I uh, he I know when we should leave. It's a talent few men have. There's a time for endings. That's a good beginning. Let us begin to go. Uh, That's always how he talks. I'm like, it's so riddle and great format. And now Paul has no vision of it. Paul has never seen this before. It's like, it's like okay, I'll play along. I wonder if that's a little bit of a relief. Maybe. Who knows? It's a surprise. Let's follow his advice. (laughs) Until next time. The spice must flow. Spice Girls, a Doodle podcast. Beg your pardon? I'm uh, just got a thing on my feed. Spice Girls of Dune. I'll have to listen to this at some point. We should uh, send them a picture of a train hitting a car <laughs> on the on crossing the road and be like, stay in your lane. This is our turf. You have better claim to it. but <laughs> That's awesome. Be the easiest collaboration yeah. ever if we did something.